Welcome back to the Attack Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Boiling Monkeys, Jay. Joan, as always, is my co-host, January 6th attendees, Z. How are you doing today, Z? No, I'm doing just Andy. All right. Why do I have to be the January 6th attendees? Well, because oh, it's the thing I wrote second. I'm sorry. Damn. It's not, not any diamond on your politics or anything like that. You just had to be the second thing. I was. I feel like I'm the only one who's ever brought up January 6th on the show, though. When we're talking about Civil War, the Civil War movie, so... Right, but that was that was purely academic. Well, yeah, I mean, it was contextual. I, yeah, I no, it was very contextual. It was no, it was alright. <laughs> Luckily, we're not popular enough for someone to take us out of context. But yeah, when we yeah, do, yeah. boy, how do we, if they sift through enough episodes? Oh, they'll find something. They got. Well, yeah, they'll find something. They'll find me do the anthrax bit, and they'll probably get me on that. <laughs> there you go. Nico, Jack, please let's do it. I'm like, fine. I'm not gonna anthrax anyone, <laughs> which I'm not. Um, I got what's the point? I actually didn't get it though. As well, as it's good because traditional. I um. You did at one point, and I told you I was going to make this an intro, and I said, I'm going to okay. push it back so you forget. It was, do you remember from my college grad party, I can't remember who was talking about it, one of my f- uh, friends was, and they were like, sure. above the January 6th attendees, when they were on trial, were found oh. on the YouTube channel where the guy tortures all the monkeys. <laughs> Holy shit, yeah. I totally remember this. Thing. And I was like, oh, I'll make that an intro, and you are like, please don't make that an intro, and I was like, I'll, I'll save it, and you'll forget by the time it comes <laughs> up again. And I kept pushing it back for months, for like half a yeah. year at this point. Oh, because I thought it was like some kind of hypothetical. I was like, what is this? This is a boiling a frog in a pot type thought experiment. But no, yeah, you're just talking about real life animal torture that occurred. So, yeah. Yeah. For those of you who are unaware. Less whimsical. Yeah. Uh, in the trials for the people who did January 6th, all those fun well, guys. Some of them. I mean. Some of them. Um, they were, they, surely they weren't all on, the, <laughs> on this YouTube channel. Well, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. They're, they were discovered to be on this YouTube channel where a guy just like in a third world country i think in like southeast asia just like tortured monkeys all the time and they would like put comments be like you should boil the next one and then he would boil a live monkey and it's just about the worst i again i didn't look for this i was told this and i don't want to know if it's true but uh it's just about the worst thing ever uh and it's like all these like seemingly mundane people and she was like yeah these people were just actually crazy yeah a lot of them truly truly unhinged god bless them though yeah great well so anyway <laughs> we saw the beekeeper this week the first our first 2024 movie review that's true because american Fish technically came out last year it did it did it did at that yeah uh yeah and oh boy was it a what january a, what movie. a fucking movie yeah it, it's very i've seen a lot of stuff to that effect right mm-hmm. so the most like middle of january type release you've ever seen so going into that i actually thought it i kind of expected it to just be like a I guess I I thought it was just going to be kind of a halfway decent action movie, honestly. Um, I had absolutely no faith in it. And you just thought it was going to be a pretty bad action movie. Um, and I I would say both of us were we were pleasantly surprised. I yes, we were. We I don't think either of us knew quite what we were getting into. It was incredible, almost incredible to behold how batshit insane this movie was at times, and funny. It was hilarious. It was so we couldn't funny. stop laughing. I wondered at times if we weren't like. An- annoying the people. Although I, I feel like I, I was detecting that from a lot of the people in the showing with us too. Yeah, people behind us. I felt like we're also laughing quite a lot because that's the thing. It's like a hilarious film. It's one of those ones where you're like, and and this is really the crux of it all to me. It's very hard f- for me to tell w- when, if at all, the movie was being intentionally funny or not. Yeah, and that's really what's what's so so, so interesting, so perplexing, so, so beautiful about it. Exactly. It really made me think. There's really no, from what I can tell, there's no consensus on whether or not this movie is trying or not. And that's, I think that's beautiful, Jack. The discourse that's opened up, 
the discussions that people are able to have. It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing quite like it. No, not on this earth. Yeah, it was just... I guess that's... And you put it best in your review, and you just said, uh, I, I loved it, but I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> Couldn't recommend it to anyone. I loved every second. <laughs> I really did. In the in the moment watching, I was like, this is fun. I, it's it's way... I'm, I'm, I was, I'm glad it was at least fun to laugh at. There's nothing worse than when we were like, I just got to get to the end of this yeah. and then get my money's worth and leave. But man, it was dumb. Not like a... Uh, Venom 2 or something. Oh, like, uh, among the more worst. Morbius or something. Yeah, which are just bad and dumbed and annoying. Yeah, this is at least quite funny. Yeah. That's insane. Like you said in yours as well, virtually nothing in the plot of the actual movie holds up to even a... Ounce of scrutiny. Scru- ounce of scrutiny. Um, so the plot itself, I guess, is that Jason Statham is an ex-beekeeper, which, like every fucking action movie, he's like a super secret, ultra top secret fucking task force that's meant to kill everyone and they protect the hive so if somebody's fucking with the system they kill them anything basically the way they present it in the movie is that like a beekeeper out operates outside of the the law pretty much any yeah checks or balances to to execute how their own vision of what protecting the world is like a skybreaker kind of yeah they're like a skybreaker they are the law which seems like a, a system wrought for for corruption, misuse, and corruption. But fine. And so they can do basically anything they need to do to 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 set the system right, no matter who that means. They have to, I guess. I mean, no, normally it seems like it would involve lots of murder, like they're like assassin types. So, mm. and they're also the greatest fighters to ever live. Yeah, like uh, in incomparably. So yeah, in a way that only can happen in movies, where a guy can be so so good at fighting that. Even, like, five also good guys at fighting you just cannot stop him. Yeah. He just blows through them. He's he's a real John Wick type, you know? Oh, absolutely. Lots of parallels there to be had. I guess in the way that every movie, every action movie is John Wick now. <laughs> but yeah. especially it's like a revenge plot type thing. There's a weird animal angle to it, you know? Oh, yeah. Just like Monkey Man. So he's living on, on this farm. I mean, so he's both a beekeeper and an actual beekeeper, which just serves to confuse things. Do they teach you how to be an actual beekeeper when you go to they beekeeper give you the school? Book. I guess they give you the book. Is that a real book, though, about beekeeping? Or, or? is it like a wink-wink-nudge-nudge nudge right. beekeeper book? Or, like, is that just a good cover? They all need to learn how to keep bees just because it's such an innocuous <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. Not uh, something that, like, draws attention and is very specific and you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but basically, it starts... The, the revenge impetus is that the woman whose farm he's staying on to raise his bees, she's, like, scammed by some... Online scammer type. By Jordan Belfort. <laughs> but yeah. So, and which is where one of the first sort of leaps of the whole movie occurs right in the opening minutes is that the this call center where they're doing like the scammy call thing of like, oh, we're going to get all, we're going to steal all your money money from by, you know, pretending you have a virus kind of thing. Just the classic like boomery scam things, right? Mm-hmm. But this call center, instead of just being like a bunch of cubicles where people are just calling, is yeah, it's a weird Wolf of Wall Street esque like party thing where they're all just freaking out and screaming and being like look how much money i just made fuck yeah and there's like one guy who's got like a microphone hyping them off and he's taking the calls personally let's steal some money from elderly (laughs) and they're all just like whoa instead of all just being like i hate my life i hate what i do and i hate i hate what i've done that i have to do it yeah yeah so they scam her and then she is so distraught she empties her bank accounts, and the bank goes, hey, I think there's fraud. You want to help us out here? She goes, I know what I need to do, and kills herself. She just kills herself right She shoots herself right in the head. Yeah, instantly, um, seemingly, like within uh, minutes, hours, I don't know. 
by the time Jethan Statham rolls up for, for honey time, honey and dinner or whatever, she's already dead on the ground. So he walks in. He's like, someone's broken in this woman's house. I'm going to get the knife and like try to do it. Then her daughter, who's an FBI agent, pulls up and is like, drop the knife. You clearly have killed my mother, who's died from a gunshot wound. Which is not like a entirely unreasonable yeah, you'd thing be- to assume, I suppose. Strange man in your mother's house with a knife in his hand, and she's dead. And I guess that might be how you'd think of things, but... Yeah. She really digs into it. She she She's the part of this movie, the FBI agent, that makes me not think this is like a fun joke that David Ayer is playing on us. You're right, because there's nothing to that one at all. Yeah, because That's like, just boring, right? Jason Statham is like... He's heightened enough, and it's goofy enough. I'm like, all right, you could be like, this is just a parody. But could this be an elaborate double bluff of it all, Jack? Is that he makes in a completely benign, normal-ass, bad bo- movie Admittedly subplot. boring, but, but yeah, an actual normal bad movie subplot to, to throw you off the side. You go, oh, I guess he was just trying, and this should just... Uh, I mean, because whatever the case may be with this one... Still give it one and a half stars. It was done well. Yeah. It was elaborate, Jack. It was It was masterfully done. That's the thing, like, I, I, or it wasn't, or it just was bad, and, and just in one of those, because this is one of the first movies I feel like I, I can l- legitimately apply the whole, like, it's so bad, it's good kind of label to, because mm-hmm. I feel like I don't actually feel that way very often. Yeah, I've never been a, a kind of person to be, because uh, I've had friends who are like, well, let, let's all get together and watch, like, a bad movie, and I was like, why would we waste our time watching just a watch bad a good movie. movie. Well, but their thing was like, well, so we can talk. I'm like, then why are we watching a movie? It's true. Why don't we just do, I'm happy to do either activity, but why are we, like, Doing the worst part of both. You're right. Because if I got to like listen that. to a movie and then talk to you, I'm like, well, I'm going to watch the movie because that's... And they hated you because you spoke the truth, Jay. Yeah. And then that's why they don't ask you anymore. No, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> you were st- you stood by your principles. I said, but I don't want to watch, watch a good movie. Where's the Kurosawa? And they go, we just want to hang out with you, man. <laughs> who invited this guy? Who Who are you? You know what? Get out of here. Go. And I go, but uh, I'm sorry. No, I, I watched... Nope. God, it's it's impossible to say, isn't it? No, it's a real enigma, Jack. It's unknowable. Cause you're right. That's there's that's a good point. That like it's it's just a normal, boring, benign kind of subplot to be in your movie. So it would kind of suggest that it's just like a bad bad, it's a bad movie. movie. Yeah. But again, it could be. It, I mean, maybe the type of men who can pull this all off can can really trick us. Like, I mean, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's just it, isn't it, Jack? Yeah. Right, though. She is pretty boring and also not the source of a lot of laughs other than unintentionally. She's just very like, eh, I'm going to do this. She just like breaks a lot of laws. Cause she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And her other FBAs are like, hey, stop doing that. That's like, they have rights, please. Yeah, they do have rights. Yeah. Let's go back to the rights. Her too. stuff with like the, de- the uh, what is it, the um, deputy director and then like the eventually the way that plot goes, it does get pretty insane pretty quickly. I do love, <laughs> is that the same word? Yeah, because at one point she's she's like giving a briefing and she's like, "When he did this yesterday, and we were just like, yes, this whole plot, this whole movie's taken across the course of basically one like one evening and then into one day." Yeah, it takes about two days, thir- I guess? thirty-six hours for this whole plot to shake out. <laughs> at one point, he they send the other because be- like he's retired and there's only one. There only can be one. It's like the Sith, but better maybe. I guess only yeah. one can exist, and so they send the other beekeeper. I think there's more than one. Because after he kills that one, it said the 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 CIA director <laughs> calls Jeremy Irons and is like, the beekeepers are sitting this one out from now. They've decided to sit it out. I think she says. So I think there is oh, other beekeepers. Multiple. They just sent the one nearby. They just sent the closest the one who one replaced him. And and yeah, she didn't do it. So they're like, actually, we're gonna let Jason Statham do what he got to do. So he just killed her very quickly with it's such not ease. much of a challenge. Burns her alive. She seemed to be pretty shit at her job compared to Jason Statham. I think she was just a crazy. She's like with the one crazy marine. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. 
But yeah, so basically he just goes on a rampage. He just goes to... Dis- He's targeting Josh Hutchinson. That's also the plot. That's kind of how it... He runs it up the ladder, basically. Yeah. He starts with a specific call center, but then it turns out that the call centers are... There's like many of them, and they're owned by Josh Hutchinson, who's like a... I don't even know what he's Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg Elon. Type. I mean, he's just like a rich, but I guess he's 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 more he is more Elon Musk in that it's like somewhat hereditary, like he's inherited it. Mm-hmm. And his mother's very important, and so important that he she's able to hire a former CIA di- director to like babysit him all the time, played by Jeremy Irons. Yeah, just to be his security guy, I guess. Not doing a super convincing American accent, I wouldn't say. No. The very funny line, like the dialogue in this is, again, it's hilarious just by how bad it is. Because it's so sincere, but it's the most ridiculous shit it's ever. It's the most ridiculous. The wits, the way they're playing it, I guess. Because Jeremy Irons is like a security team, and he's like, can't we get him? He's one guy, and he's like, we're all like Navy SEALs and Green Berets and the best guys you've ever had. He goes, yeah, you think you all are fucking pussies, dumbass. <laughs> He'd kill you all without even thinking about it. It's like, could, yeah. like 15 men in this room. They can't just shoot him. It's somehow both the most like over the top and the most generic sort of action dialogue in the thing ever. Like you're all green berets and he'll still fuck you all up for no reason because you're ah he's, he's so good. He's the strongest, coolest guy ever, and I want to kiss him. Again, it's very much a John Wick thing. Where he's like, my son, you are already. If John Wick is coming for you, you are already dead. He's, yeah, he says the same. He's like, oh yeah, well he's the last eyes you'll ever see. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Shut the fuck up! So good. And, but also like there, I. One of the ones that stood out, because it's early on, uh, when I was like, wait a minute, this isn't going to be good, is it? It's when he's having breakfast with the, the the daughter, FBI agent, and she's like, do I detect a bit of British Isles in your <laughs> Hidden? What a stupid I think I looked at her and I was like, hidden? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? What do you mean hidden? He just sounds he's like Jason Statham. I don't think he's doing any, I, I can't really, I mean, he speaks about four times in the whole movie, to be fair, so. Roy. <laughs> What's the job? I don't really know if he, I can't really tell. I guess if he's trying to do a less British accent or not, or wherever he's from. And then she's like, "My brother, he was a, he was Marsak Marines. He died. He died chicken indoors. That's not how you talk to people. This you just met this man. You just be like, my brother. He, he died in war. Died in the service. And be like, oh, I'm so sorry. You wouldn't be like, yeah, he was Marsak Fourth Division Special Marines. He was the coolest, coolest guy around. He killed thirty Hajj. <laughs> Like, no. He kicked down a hospital door and killed all the patients inside. They were kids. They were children. Whoa, man. Don't. What are you telling me? And then she, like, hates her mom, kind of. She's like, yeah, you know, I graduated top of my class in Harvard and I was the best FBI agent to ever live, but I didn't even get a, an attaboy. It's like, what? And you're, what are you, was your mom abusive secretly? <laughs> yeah, like, what do you say Your Your teacher mom, who's, like, the nicest lady ever, who, like, had a charity, was like, actually, my daughter is nothing to me. I like my son who kicks down doors overseas. <laughs> Again, it's just a nothing subplot that is, but and her friend who like hates his family or something. <laughs> that guy's pretty good. He's, he gets a call and his wife leaves. You no, come back, and then he's like, "Well, I guess I'll hang out here." There's a uh, abundance of bee puns, which are delightful. I would say, yeah. although it gets they they really mix their metaphors at a certain point. It's very hard to tell when. Like, I feel like they just overuse it right into the dirt, which makes it funny, of course. Yeah, but, it comes like, back. It, it's funny in a different way. Yeah, there's so much of like protect the hive and the bees and the you don't get the bees and I have to and it's just like what's going I on? I gotta kill the queen. And what they, does any of this mean? They keep referencing the fact that like oh a bee a worker bee will sometimes like take it upon themselves to kill the queen if they're not making good like children. Like, they're not you know producing good young. So then because of that, it turns out that the queen bee is Josh Hutchinson's mother, who is and I hope you're staying down for this. The female president of the United States. 
And so at one point, I looked at each other and went, are they going to have Jason Statham kill the female president of the United States in this film? They don't. Not quite. So they kind of... Neek. So that makes me think it's just a bad movie because they just kind of set up a plot point and then like, well, actually, he just got to gotta kill Josh Hutchinson because he can't. Mm. He's the real bad guy because he used camp money from old people to fund his his mother's He had that much campaign. money? Like, surely that's not how you... It's the type of thing where it's like, I feel like it's... it's and again, this is, the to me, the hallmark of an actual bad movie, I suppose. It's too simplistic almost. This is like what a stupid person would like to imagine the world is like. Of like, oh yes, there's there's certain rich people. They only got rich and they're crooked and they're evil because they did this this objectively evil thing with their money or something kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Instead of like the much more like likely like the the real kind of reality of the world. Not to not to be like I know, the, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Where it's like I don't know people. They're not actually like mustache twirling like villains. The people who are like. You know, fucking Absolutely. everyone over yeah. and, and getting all this money and being uber rich, like people who are influencing the world. They're doing it through, like, I guess more subtle ways almost. Yeah. So It's no not like I you. literally scammed your grandma out of all this money and that's how I can run for president. Like, no. No. They just poison all your water and that's how they run <laughs> yeah, for money. Shit like that. Like, so, I, yeah. And then, yeah, that doesn't really make any sense. Especially because she, she even says at one point, like, but we already had lots of money from, like, our big company that, I don't know, presumably does actual, like, legitimate work of some kind. Yeah. And he's just like, no, you don't get it. I had to get all this money from old people. That's how we funded your campaign. Because we're going to lose in all these things. But I'm like, why is he suddenly smart now? When and then bef- she's also, like, suddenly, like, comically good. She's, like, a real real goody too. She's about where she's like, but it's about the people and the, and the law. And I did it to help. And, I, and I'll tell them the truth. And Even- the truth will set us free. And it's yeah. like. Who are you? Even though you're my coke-addled son. And then he shoots the deputy director of the FBI with, with a murder gun. Him. How was that going to go? I love it. Yes. I love at the end when, the when like, the final goon in, like, a parade of goon-type dudes, he's Australian and has... Uh, he's missing like a leg because he killed leg. the beekeeper. But the beekeeper got his leg in the prague, I guess, so that's cool. And he's about to execute Jason Statham on the lawn of the, the president's, <laughs> like, beach house. And he says... It could to be or not to be. That's the question, isn't it, mate? Or whatever the fuck he sounds like. Yeah. And then Jason Statham's like, to be. <laughs> he blows up. A big explosion happens. He's about to kill uh, this guy who's killed like 12 people at this point. So many people. And the FBI's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He may be threatening the president's life, maybe. But we can't shoot him. It's like, they definitely just shoot him. Yeah. Or at least like trank him. It would be pretty crazy if you just shot him on the... Pre- well, yeah, just get some, like, cuffs on him. And that whole time, they're, like, sitting there debating, like, what do we do? Are we going to shoot him or not? Or maybe we shoot him in the leg. Just cuff him up, off a bit, you know? If you really want to throw him in a van, I don't know. Yeah, hit him with a big stick, billy club, he'd be used to that. I just couldn't believe that. That, to me, is the creme de... It's the icing on top. To be or not to be, Jack? <laughs> I chose to be. <laughs> and then a big explosion. Uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful in a lot of ways. It's a... <sighs> the whole thing I bought. He cuts a guy's fingers off. He's done with a bandsaw or whatever, a jigsaw, whatever that is. Yeah, and he gives that guy one of the most, like, full-on deaths I can remember in a movie. Yeah, he ties him he ties into his car and drives the car. <laughs> and drives the, yeah, puts a brick on the accelerator and drives it off a bridge <laughs> with him still attached. He's it's like, pretty ah! <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. Pretty full-on. I mean, that guy was a piece of shit. Like, he, he's the Jordan Belfort, like, oh, look how cool I am for scamming all these people. But I'm also like, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> That was just like a that was just like a loser, like twenty something year old who was like, "Yeah, he's a real piece of shit," but you've killed him. You didn't have to cut off all his, mutilate him, and then kill him in the river. <laughs> you've murdered this man. They're gonna find his body. They found oh, his body like the very end when he like, 
when he when he shoots Josh Hutcherson and then like <laughs> runs away. <laughs> and the FBI agent daughter's like goes to like she's out the window and she does the thing of like I'm like gonna shoot him and then she like lowers her gun and is like what's his name Adam Coy or something Adam Clay yeah she's like goodbye Adam Clay. <laughs> The most ridiculous shit. In the uh, world. Then he goes like scubaing away or whatever. It's incredible. And they just and he just goes into the water and they don't see him. And then, that, then the movie ends immediately. It it it's like all right. Once he goes underwater, it's done. We don't have to do anything else. That's it. That's <sighs> great. I was pleasantly surprised by just how ridiculous it was and and very funny. Again, maybe we're idiots, but I saw a lot of people saying the same thing of like, is this movie bad or bad on purpose or? Not bad on purpose, or is it so bad it's good, or is it... If it's so bad it's good, but it was purposely trying to be bad, does that just make it good, Jack? I don't What are we so. dealing with? But no one can tell. It's true. It's hard. It's impossible to tell if this is being sincere. Because <laughs> on the one hand, it's hard to imagine someone making a movie so bad and so comically so, if they were really trying to make a good movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's that type of thing where you couldn't... I don't know if you can fake this. Yeah. I think you, I think you can fake. I think, you would, I think we would know. What do you think? If, it, if it's fake, we would be able to tell. We'd feel it. Yeah, there'd, there'd be a mo- more like winks at the camera, more like tongue-in-cheekness. It's really not. No, it's just kind of just bad. It's bad all the way down. I loved it. It was pretty great. It was definitely... I was pleasantly surprised about how unintentionally hilarious it was. I was going in thinking, I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to suffer for this hour and 45-minute movie and then leave and hate my life. But I didn't. No. No, we didn't. Yeah, I can't wait for David Era's director's cut of uh, this movie, where it's going to change it all. He's going to keep fighting for it's it. It's crazy. He used to make, like, when I say used to, he made at least one good movie I can think of. He made Fury. Did he make Fury? Is he Fury? Did he make Fury? I thought he made Fury. I think you're right, actually. And that movie's sick. Yeah, that, people, that's, a big, that's a good one, from what I understand. That was the last one, then. 2014. Because then he made Suicide Squad. and Yeah, David Ayer directed Bright. Fury. Holy shit. Logan Lerman's in that movie. I know. And Brad Pitt. Charlotte Buff and John... John Bernthal. I love Brian Scott Eastwood and Scott Eastwood's in. Yeah, he plays Sergeant Miles. The tank crew is like you said, Logan Lerman and Brad Pitt and John Brenthal and Shia LaBeouf and uh, Michael Pena. Just end of Watch as well. That's the one I thought was good. He did Training Day as well. And Training, that's what I thought. Yeah, so Training yeah. Day, those are all good. And then he made Bright. And then he made Bright and like Suicide Squad and shit. And the Tax Collector. What happened to him? I mean, maybe he's brilliant, Jack. Maybe he's an auteur. We just don't have a. Maybe someday, like. After his death, uh, uh, a untimely po- doom. There'll be like a posthumous, like a posthumously published document that'll be like, "Beekeeper was all a joke." <laughs> Fuck you! I got you. <laughs> but like I said, at the, uh, you know, I, in good conscience, I couldn't actually tell anyone it's a good movie. Um, but at the same time, I would almost say anyone and everyone should watch it. I think once it comes to streaming, give it a watch. What a film! Get a get a bunch of your friends together and watch it all together. If you watch it alone. You'll have fun, but you won't have nearly as much fun if you like get friends together. And I think watch so. It. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. So if your friends say watch a bad movie, this is the bad movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That or Come House. Come House. You ever heard of Come House? No, I don't think I have. Yeah, my uh, some of my friends have watched Come House. I watched it twice, and each time they went, "Jake, you want to watch Come House?" And I said, "Absolutely not." And it's a horror movie where a man has a haunted house, and uh, well, you you get it. I guess so. Yeah. And it's uh, it's just apparently about as awful as you think it would be. Someone liked my review, Jack. Do you believe that? Was it me? It was uh, someone uh, in addition to you. Well, who knows that happens? I get a rogue one. <laughs> I was bringing her a jar of honey. Who the fuck are you? Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. 
Yeah, he said the same thing, though, because I, I, I went and read his. He says, inherently very silly revenge action movie. Sadly, rather messy and confused in tone and what it wants to be. I have no idea what is intentionally funny and what wasn't. The film wraps itself up in this B metaphor with puns and awkward one honors galore, but then also seems to take itself far too seriously at times. It creates a strange tone and a bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, I, I it's definitely how I feel. Again, the B stuff is over the top. It's crazy. It's, it's, they just keep going back to the B thing. Uh, Protect the hive. Like we said, it's that type of thing that only exists in movies, which is like this super secret government thing, which somehow creates one man. How, how can you possibly make a person who's so badass? And also, it's like real secret spies and shit are not just good at like punching and kicking and getting into fights with people. They're like good at actual like espionage yeah. things. That's what would be sneaky and scary about a secret agent. So guy. it could be anybody. Not just like this guy's a badass. It'd be like this guy's smart and sneaky. Not just he can. Yeah, punch you really good and shoot you with guns. Yeah, you can disappear and become a completely different person. You'd never know. But, again, that's not what this is That's about. not as nearly as fun as watching Jason Statham punch a man to death. It is very funny that they got, like, Jeremy Irons. How do you convince him to do a movie like this? He tries for the couple scenes he's in. But, like we said, like, that one where he explains them and he's like, this is what a bees are. A bee. Do you know what a bee is? <laughs> And then the queen bee, and then and they're, and and they're like, oh, like it's all, it's all analog. I'm, I'm, I'm on. He's like, you're on Delta team, which means you're all pussies. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. They they mention the fact that what really uh, breaks down the concept of them is when the the president is just like, you know, the system may be flawed. We need someone to protect it. It's like you need to protect all the systemic racism you got. That gerrymandering really needs to stay intact, huh? Uh, well, again, she just got. At the point where it becomes obvious that the film needs her to not actually be the villain. They actually be murdered by Jason Statham. She just becomes, like, sort of comically good at this. Yeah. So, like, this is the, oh, so I'm willing to I'll face the consequences of my actions. I'm going to tell the world the truth, son. <laughs> because I truly, I wanted to be president to be good. Not just because I'm a rich person who wanted to be corrupt and, and, be a, and have power I, for it a turns out I actually wanted to be a good president to help the American people. And it's like, all right, man. What is this? What is this? What is this trying to tell me? I guess it, I guess they couldn't commit to actually making the first female president just evil or something. Or get shot by Jason Statham in the yeah, head. Yeah, so. There's just a little bit of there will be blood when her son gets coached. Like, my boy! My child! Abandon my boy! Or like, um, goblet of fire. <laughs> my son! <laughs> oh, Christ! All right, we've done enough of this, I think. So well, I could take out of that. Everyone should watch it. Everyone should watch it. Buzz on over to your local theater. <laughs> Buzz on over. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Uh, All right. Well, actually, I could back out of this into uh, the finale of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Uh, we fulfill the prophecy. I think that's the whole title. The prophecy is fulfilled. Or the prophecy Tom- comes true. Something like that. Oh, I think I think it's the, the second one you said. I'll look right now. My Disney Plus app. So it's the end of the book. Um, <clears throat> or kind of the end of the book. The end of the yeah. book that they've written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I, I um I gotta say, I think the last couple weeks in particular, I've actually I've I've lost some enthusiasm for this show. And I think um it's part of the thing I talked about last week, which is uh, I don't know. I don't know why this this shouldn't be actually material to my enjoyment of it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it is. <laughs> and that's the budget thing. That really does blow me away in a way that's uh, it has generally affected my enjoyment, which is stupid, I guess, on some level, but come on. Mm-hmm. When you know that how much money they poured into this, to then see it, these episodes, these last two in particular, it really feels like, did, did we run out? They burned it all in the big camp battle? Did you somehow, like, they're, 
again, she, she, you would think fifteen is a million a, a piece is enough for any of these to begin with, but it's like, did we somehow run out? And so these last two get even less because we used we used like twenty plus million on some of these other episodes. That like, casino really broke can't us. Can't be true. It's weird, but whatever. So it's the beach, like we saw, and he has a fight on the beach. Um, a totally real beach, and he draws blood from from Mary's. Doesn't give him the curse, just like he's supposed to. And I think he cheats. I don't think he uses all that water in the book. I in the book, they wins. fight in the water. I think, but maybe like shallow water. I don't know. I, I don't think he. I don't think he just summons a big tidal wave to fuck him up and then like wins because that seems kind of cheap. But yeah. whatever. I guess you're right. He does he specifically say those words though? What does he does he say some kind of specific curse? Yeah, he says like he. I think he does before he shows him his true form. He curses his sword that it'll, it'll like fail him when he needs it most. Oh, he does do that. And he's like, "Fuck you're you, right. kid! I'm a god. I can do this." That is the specific thing he does. Yeah. Well, he doesn't do that, but he does say you have an enemy for life now, which is, I mean, thematically, it's it's on target, right? Yeah. So he beats the berries, and they get the helmet, and then... It's a weird-looking helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, like... It's got, like, mesh in the eyes. I don't know why you would need that, right? It's too... It's it's too... It's like, it looks like a spaceman helmet. It's too bulky. <laughs> it could just be, like, a Greek helmet. I don't know. These last two, and again, as well, like, they're both quite long, or, I mean, not super long, relatively, but they're in... I guess they're in the oh whatever they're they're on you know in line with a lot of the other episodes and I feel like a lot less happens. Um, this one in particular is just a sequence of rooms that everyone just kind of sits in and talk. I mean, this isn't a room per se, but it feels like a room. It was filmed in a room. It's a film. Yeah, it feels like a volume room. They fight on a beach and then they're just at the thing and it's and the the algebra teacher shows up and she's like. Percy's like, oh, you were just getting the helmet. Here, take the helmet to Hades. And she's like, cool. And then she leaves. And then they're like, oh, I got to go to Olympus. And then he just goes to Olympus and uh, talks to uh, Lance Reddick. Yeah, Lance Reddick is there and he's Zeus. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you got too lippy with me. And his dad shows up and is like, oh, we don't have to do war, Kronos. Which, again, I, I guess I should have cracked it open to make sure. But I feel like they really overemphasized the Kronos stuff in this. It just feels like he knows too much. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm. Yeah, assuming that's how it's supposed to be. I can't remember. It's like I've said before. My memory is is warped between when I read the books ten years ago and when I watched the films. So all of that is meshed in my head together. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. And the fact that they you made them blonde for the whole show. It's true. If they ever get to years of Olympus, they're gonna have two blonde guys. Can't believe they're gonna be two blonde gentlemen in this. Well, I think maybe. Well, would they do, would they also make Talia black too? I was. Thinking I guess that. I was kind of assuming because if Lance Reddick's black, or he's good, but that that's not really how that works. No. Doesn't really need to be. Because Zeus could have children with, like, anyone. Also, they say in, uh, I think that's an actual lore thing in the series, is that you almost get, you actually don't really get very much DNA from your... Godparent? Godparent, if that actually worked at all, which it doesn't really make any sense, but you basically just look like your... Parent. parent your human parent. Wise. Yeah, I think. Because they're not really gods. I mean, they do they, or they are really gods. They're not really human. Like, they don't have a... Do they have a specific human form upon which to even base that, or what? Like, it's... it's probably best to not think about also when you have like athena as your mom she it's just brain yeah it's she like, doesn't have sex i don't think right she's it's Isn't that an idea like she never has she's still a virgin she like springs you fully formed from her head like with zeus so you get weird shit like that yeah so i think it's one of those things <laughs> where it's like enough people pestered me was like i sure whatever but yeah. it's like don't think about it it's you're not meant to think about it it's fine if it's just like their dads are your dad zeus come on so i guess yeah i guess tell you could look however they want um but yeah I mean, on the one hand, it's like, I guess Lance Reddick got to do a little bit of like, ooh, I'm being intimidating and spooky or whatever, but at the same time, yeah, it's not really how that scene plays out explicitly. Yeah. Because we were talking about before, it's like, in the book, he doesn't fail. 
Well, and the uh, the book is that he arrives on time to the meeting on the day. Yeah, and then all the gods are there and are like they take a plane. Yeah, because when the master bolt, they doesn't get shot out of the literal sky. The thing is that they yeah they're supposed to not be able to take planes or they shouldn't take planes because Zeus will just get mad at them and yeah shoot them out of the sky or whatever. But he's like, well, we finished and we we did it right. We're, so we're gonna fly back to New York with it and then take the elevator up and that happens. Yeah. But so his dad gets to, Poseidon gets at the last minute to save him and he doesn't. He's not smitten by Zeus. I guess that's not smitten, is it? Smitten is like smited, nice. smote, <laughs> smote, smote his ruin, right? I think so. Smote his ruin upon the mountainside. Oh yeah. yeah. So he's not smote by Zeus. <laughs> his dad saves him and is like, "Hey, sorry, I'm kind of a shit dad or whatever. Hey, but get out there, do it yourself, champ." <laughs> do you dream, Dad? Sure, whatever, man. Get out of here. Good chat, Bop. Isn't isn't Mount Olympus impossibly huge for some reason? It's like a, a massive city in a volume. Totally not the volume. Yeah, again, I, that's what I said to you. I was like, this is just like Hades where it's just a big... Empty vastness. Yeah. It's like they're standing on a thing and then yeah, beyond them is just an empty vastness. I thought it was supposed to be more... The thing about... Yeah, the thing about um, the Underworld and this, in both cases, it doesn't feel very Greek. Yeah. In the same way. I thought they were supposed to be very traditional-like and then there's a bunch of pillars and it's like a... Big white area. Big Greek temple looking thing. And there's like, although I thought it was supposed to be little outlying temples. And this is just weird, like monoliths in the distance. But it's yeah, it's too big and open and boring. The throne room is like not in the center or like a big thing. It's just like weird and looks like it's a ruin. It's not very. Again, it's just weird and open. There's no roof. There's no yeah. like nothing to it. It's, it's lame. And he's like, okay, it's Kronos. Don't you know about Kronos? He's like, yeah, of course I know about Kronos. Shut super, up. Super little brat. He's my dad. All right. Good for you, Lance Reddick. Sorry you're dead. It's a real shame. I really am. Really apologize for doing that to you. Do know who's gonna be him in the next one? Lavar Burton. Maybe Lavar Burton. Wow, wouldn't oh, that be? Wouldn't that be something? Quite the tribute. That'd be real great for the Eric Andre and Percy Jackson fans. I.e., I think only us. <laughs> I think we make that Venn diagram. <laughs> that would be something. Maybe look at the guy who plays young, young Sharon in the uh, what's it called? The Continental Show. Get him in. How old is he? I don't know, like twenty or something. That's funny. He's... I don't know how. He's probably not actually that young in real life. He's probably like sneaky, like twenty six years old or something. That's true. Um, but yeah, and then he's back, and then his mom's alive, and he's a hero at camp, and all that. And then Zeus Luke betrays him. Luke betrays him. He's like, "Oh, look at this magic portal in camp that I found. That I have my backbiter that's got this the bronze and the steel, so I can kill mortals and monsters alike because I'm Ooh. the worst." Uh, they have a bit talk. Annabeth goes, "Luke, you betrayed me." And he's like, "Oh, well, whatever. I'm out of here. See you. See ya." And then Charon's like, you, seventh grader, you're the leader of camp. <laughs> they all love you. You're oh, a hero. These actual 17, 16, 17-year-olds who like have lived here forever, they think you're a real cool leader, even though you've not done anything to lead them. And the big battle we all fought in Annabeth, I mean, she's the one who led it. They all like Annabeth probably more. She's the leader, actually. He just sees Kronos. Kronos is just like, hey, man, I got my eye on you. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll, you'll, I'll see you again. I'm going to get you. And he's like, hey, get out of here. I win. I won. He's like, I, sure, I guess. I mean, I don't really care. Not quite. I'll be back. I'll be back. You'll see me in book two, three, four, and five. See ya. See ya. Uh, Step Shape Mosh is more of a fun one. <laughs> and then his mom's alive, which is good. But and um, they have a little speech about, if you're different, maybe you're a demigod. Yeah, he does the thing, which is fun. Yeah, it's a fun thing. I guess that's good For enough. a kid show. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like I said, I, I feel like it kind of lost the sauce a little bit for me in this one. Um, I said it's just a sequence of 
conversations, which I guess is everything when you boil it down. But I don't know, something about just, and then we're here, and then we're here. Like I said, there's not even like, oh, and then we had to get on a flight. Isn't that crazy? They just kind of appear everywhere they need to be at every point. So, I don't know. There's not really enough to this one for me. Yeah, I would have to agree. I gotta say, this kid, I think he's pretty good. I don't know if I've mentioned that enough yet. Uh, just, But, you know, we're at the end here of the first season. I actually do think he's pretty good. I think he's acting in the in the moments where he actually has to be like a bit intense. I feel like he he pulls it off oh, in yeah, a way that sure. maybe you know kid actors can't always necessarily do. So that's good. I think Grover was good. I liked him. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, they're all good actually. The the cast is all good. But again, they're also tra- children, which makes me wonder where all the money's going. Because surely you don't have to pay those kids very much. And Disney, they love not paying show kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Famously, did they give Lance Reddick six million dollars to? <laughs> 30 seconds of this as a show? Like, what, I think what's so. going on? They must have. I don't get it. They paid Lin-Manuel Miranda all the money for his episode? He wasn't even in this one. Come on. What's going on? Yeah. No good. No good. It's funny how um they really, when there's a point where they name, like, oh, who knows about Kronos? And they the, the gods he names are all, are all the gods we've seen. It's like, oh, they know Ares and Hades and Hermes. The ones who, coincidentally, the only ones we've seen this whole show besides maybe Hephaestus. I, just, I was trying to find. I really, I, I don't think they were so, I just don't remember them being so blatant with all the Kronos stuff in the first book. First book. I feel like it was kind of implied and like maybe they figured it out. I feel like Percy doesn't put it all together until after he does it and Luke betrays them. Yeah. I don't think when he's on Olympus, he has this moment to be like, hey guys, don't you know Kronos? And they're like, yeah, we know. It's more of a thing you you finally put together at the end where you're like, wait a minute. If it wasn't actually Ares, it was when it was Luke, but why was it? And it's like, oh, Kronos, he's in the DC. He's, he's coming back. He's coming back. But whatever. I don't know. Um, it's an interesting show. I guess I hope that. And it's a classic thing, too, where we still don't know if they're making a second two, a season two already. Like, it's been, you know, better it, part of a week, and they still haven't said yet because they never do because this is how streaming is now, and I hate it. And. Yeah, so I haven't started writing it, so by the time the next one comes out, they'll be like fucking 18. What great. I hate f- this. <laughs> I don't know how, like, what? I don't get it. I just, I, don't, I honestly don't understand. How, wh- wh- where are their priorities? We're like, we, they're perfectly fine with like throwing, uh, I guess, what, 120 odd million at mm-hmm. a show like this. Um, and then they're, but they're also not confident enough in it to just get the ball rolling on like multiple seasons at the gate like what how does that make any sense right that's yeah. such a weird dichotomy especially when you're talking about like this is why among other reasons i am so skeptical of the of the harry potter show oh yeah i always forget about which that which i've said before i think probably even on the show it's probably come up but it's just like the way they do shows nowadays how are you ever going to do seven seasons of a harry potter show in any amount of a reasonable time with yeah with the way they conduct themselves now the reason that they were able to do, and I maintain, they did such a good job with those movies, especially because they added a, an extra movie, basically, right? And they still finished when he was, I think Daniel Radcliffe was like 21, which is older than he ought to be, right? But not crazy. I think it, pull, it pulls it off, right? I think it's pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. They were pretty on target for most of those movies. He's supposed to be, what, 18, Yeah, 17? like 17, 18. So, so it's, three years difference? That's, that's, I mean, shit, that's better than they do most of the time anyways, right? Mm-hmm. They'll cast a 24-year-old to be an 18-year-old Jacob anyway. to be <laughs> yeah. a... Just because, for no reason at all. Like, no time crunch, no like reason at all they'll cast a mid, someone in their mid-20s to be an 18-year-old. So doing that, I think, I just don't see how they're ever going to do that in modern day. The way, they, the way they do this now, the way they go like, well... We're not going to renew it until 
six months after the first season has ended, because we have to really make it. We have to see the long tail on those viewer numbers and the and the merch sales and the, I don't know. Yeah, and, and the, fuck you. That's why. And the new subscribers. Yeah, it, it seems like it would just be a slam dunk because you got the guy and all the books are written. The, it's got that going for it. Um, but again, they're probably this is and this is the problem with making everything this massive production is they have to be so much more cautious with it. If you had just made this like a 60 to $80 million show somehow, which, I mean, I don't know. I say somehow as if like it's a feat, but I you would think 8 to $10 million on an episode of TV like this shouldn't actually be that daunting of a prospect. But I guess it's just the way the industry just blown itself out lately. But I, then maybe it wouldn't be that daunting, but like, oh, we really got to weigh our options if we're ever, even going to be able to make a second season. Mm-hmm. And it's cause, there's this whole like trend too with like different streaming shows where it's like maybe i know people are getting more and more annoyed at like the open-ended nature of stuff like this obviously this is unavoidable when you're doing you're adapting the first in a series of five books but you know people said about a lot of stuff in general is that like the because we all know this is a factor of streaming at this point right maybe things should be more even even if you intend or, or would like your show basically to have an additional season still kind of write it in a way that the first season is self-contained enough that it can just end. It can just end because there's like a 50-50 chance it will. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, let me Google it real quick just to make sure it still hasn't definitively said one way or the other. Yeah. But I don't think it has. Yeah, it's still not renewed. So I don't know, man. What are we doing? What are we doing out here, Jack? I don't know. It's, uh, it's certainly vexing. And especially, like you said, with a show like this, which is uh, the main cast are all children if you do the classic, th- if you do the, the thing they've do, which I guess they've already done, right? It's too late, actually, to avert it for this. Yeah. I mean, you, the guy who plays Percy's already 16. Is he really? Or he's 15 or 16. He's one of them. But the way it is now, again, it still hasn't even been renewed, which means that we're not getting a second season any sooner than, what, 2026? Mm-hmm. So he will be, like, 15, 16. Like, it's, it, there's no prayer. Even even if they then adopted a, a continuous um, sort of tempo with it where they did crack out the next four in sequence I mean yeah he's still gonna be like early 20s by the time they're done but yeah I just don't get it I don't understand this model this way of, of, of doing things I don't get it at all Jack me neither and I don't think anybody does it's like they've all forgotten how to make television shows where did it go where, where, where's this lost knowledge Jack where's it gone to it's like Roman concrete <laughs> it's like Greek fire yeah, you know they what? don't know how to do it anymore it's a lost art it's a shame but yeah, I mean, overall, pretty pretty good. Pretty good first season, I would say. Yeah. Like I said, it lost these last two episodes were just kind of CGI nothings. Um, I mean, the next season... See, but this is the crazy thing, right? So the next season is more fantastical. Is that better or worse, though? That's more CGI if, nothing. If this is 15 episodes, or, or 15 million an episode for this, what like does that mean that the next season, where they actually have to do more with that, right? They have to stretch that budget out more to actually cover more significant, interesting stuff? Is it going to be better or is it going to be worse? I just wonder what they're going to cut and change. They changed a lot from what we could tell from the books. I'd like, say a lot of it is kind of convenience. Yeah, it's not like, I don't want to say necessarily superficial, but a lot of it's the same kind of thing happens. It's just sort of the mechanism mm. by which it happens is changed or the order of events can be changed a little bit. But largely it hits all the same beats. It's just kind of shuffled around a bit or, or reasoning. I mean, stuff like, oh, they go to the Lotus Hotel on purpose to meet Hermes instead of just wandering in there. Or yeah. like, you know, stuff like that. So, which I guess is fine, right? Yeah. Because in a book, you kind of just have them meander about for a bit. 
But in a show, you got to kind of get to the point a little bit, especially a show like this where they need those streaming numbers and they want you to come back every week. It desperately, desperately needs you to. Yeah. But pr- pretty good, I guess. I mean, if they do another one, I guess I'll watch it. But Oh, well, I mean, we'll definitely watch it. But maybe we won't be happy about it. Who knows? I don't know what the numbers are. I guess I'm curious to know what the uh, readings have been, if it's likely to get a second season or what here. It's got a 93 on Rotten Tomato as well. Damn, really that's pretty. That's really high. I feel it's higher than I would expect. Honestly, I would have thought so too. Right? Thirteen million viewers. I don't know if that's good anymore though. <laughs> but that was its opening uh, episode. So there you go. Percy Jackson, the Olympians, baby. Woo, let's go. But, uh, probably move on from that then. Excited for next season, and if we even get one. So I could take out of that into our next topic, which is uh, we're doing another of our cla- first of our classic. Not the first. I guess American Fiction the first. Of uh, oh boy, let's watch the rest of the uh, best pictures before the Oscars. When I watched Poor Things last week, for that reason, well, that's true. But I'd already seen Poor Things, so I was going off my perspective. Um, but it's past lives. We did past lives. Past lives, baby. A movie that I will go out right of the gate, lampooning Zach. You can listen back, listeners. I think a week ago, one week ago, he said, "Oh, and past lives is the one where two people meet in New York." Whatever that was, so crazy. And then uh, he gave it four and a half stars on Letterboxd. One of only. It. Let's see here. I loved it. Four and a half. He's only had. He has thirty-five films that are four and a half. So it it it, it broke that. Not even Beekeeper could hold such a, an acclaim. <laughs> I'm not as quite as stingy as you with my good scores. I don't think so. Well, let's compare. How many? I only have twenty-six. So I, you go. you've beat me by nine. And mine are all more accurate and better compared to yours. You probably got like fucking Hoodwinks two in there or some shit. No, Hoodwink two is a five star. That's You've not got like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or something. No, that's a three one. I'm not. A, I'm not a lampooner. <laughs> you probably got something ridiculous. I don't know. Don't make me name every movie I can think of. No, I have a couple more. <laughs> I don't, you probably got. I know you have like Full Metal Alchemist Brother. That's in there as a five on your letterbox. What does that tell you? That's, <laughs> that's a that's a great show. <laughs> not even a film. Yeah, I didn't do too many of the shows. All my four stars are, all my four and a half are pretty good. I think the only one you'd have a problem with would be Kong Skull Island. <laughs> and Kong Skull a great film. I like Kong Skull Island. It's definitely just, I'll, it's I'll just not quite a four and a half is all. You know, it's one of those things where like I can enjoy, again, like the beekeeper, I had a good time with it, but I just couldn't in good conscience give it a four and a half. It's a great film. For Kong Skull Island? It's a I good I mean, I love movie, the part man. where the guy gets smacked into the mountain as much as the next guy, but Jesus it's a great Christ, part. Jack. Four and a half stars? Uh, but I think all the other ones... I definitely gave You've Barbie seen? four and a half last year. Or Greenwood. I gave, I think I might have given Indiana Jones. You gave and Oppenheimer four and a half. I, I think didn't give did. Oppenheimer five. I don't, actually, I don't, I'll look, let's see. I think I gave Oppenheimer five. I probably gave Killers four and a half. Oh, you did give it five. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I I Anyways, we don't need to. <laughs> let's do all the movies. So here's all 26 of them. <laughs> so, but yes, Past Lives, I, they got me. I didn't, I, I apologize. <laughs> Was not familiar. Was not familiar with the game. Okay, so this is interestingly enough, like with a um a certain uh what's the, what's the one we watched last week, two weeks ago, American Fiction. Sorry, it's the debut directorial uh debut. That's the same thing. <laughs> debut director. The directorial debut. Oh my god. Of the director, who in this case is Celine Song. Um, it's her it's her feature directorial debut, and she's got fucking what a way to start. I know, right? Um, I guess she's done um, plays though, because this is this uh, movie is is semi autobiographical. Oh, is it? I was gonna say it was a play. So she's a play. What's it? I was gonna say this movie was once a play, oh, like the and I was gonna say like the whale. But she's written. 
play. She she was a playwright. Is a playwright mm. however that works? So like I think it's you know that whole nature of it. I don't know. Maybe she has a white husband. I'm not sure. I didn't look that far into it. But um, it's it's I'll, definitely I'll semi autobiographical in nature. Um, but yeah. So basically, this is it's it's the it's the story of these two people. You have Nora, and you have oh my god, I got Song. No, it's I think it's Haysong. Haysong. Yeah. Um, who are friends in Korea? They live in Seoul. And then Nora moves. She immigrates to the Canada. Yeah, there's her husband. He is white. And he's a playwright. And he's and also novel. a novelist. Oh, shit. Wow. It's really, really hitting the nail on the head, huh? Really? Having that nose there. Um, so she immigrates to Canada and they they just fall out of touch, as, as was wont to do, I guess, in the early 2000s. Yeah. But then times passed. Um, 12 years and Basically, passed. in each case, it's 12 years. I don't know what the significance of that is. Maybe, maybe just so that a lot of time passes. Well, I guess it's I, is the implication must be that they were twelve when it happened, right? Yeah, it must. So be. it's all these equally. So it's twenty four and then thirty six, which is just kind of fun, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the middle sort of section of the movie is, or I guess the beginning. I, I don't know because they don't actually spend that much time as children. But um, then they're they're we'll call it middle of the timeline. Yeah, middle of the timeline. They're um in their early twenties, or maybe they were supposed to be younger than twelve when it because they're. They're still in college, which you would think would make them. Oh, he's still in college. Oh, yeah, maybe she. Because he's she's not still in college. He's still in college. So maybe it's because he's in college because he because he was in the military. Because he did the military. Okay, maybe it does all work. I don't fucking know. It's not important. I'm overdoing it. But <laughs> they um then they meet up and they they they're talking on Skype. They never meet during this phase, but it's a whole phase where they're like getting to know each other and, and reconnecting. And then they fall out of touch again, and they basically don't talk at all again for another 12 years, where then he comes to New York to visit her, and they have like a couple-day um, sort of whatever meet you up. Call, meet up there. Catch up. Catch up, and they and they have a discussion. And basically, that's all this movie is. It's just them talking to each other. It's a lot of just... It's like there's like three characters in the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, there's really three characters in the whole movie. Um, but golly, isn't it just done super well? Yeah. I, 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 I definitely don't think this is a movie that everyone will enjoy. But I did. Why do you say that? Um, I said I think too sad. No, I think because maybe people would find it too slow. Too slow, sure. Because it definitely it moves very slowly, but I think that's to its benefit. It's what it, that is what it's trying to do, and there's a very it's very it's it's doing that because that's the point. And I liked it, but I can definitely see how people wouldn't. And to me, it was it was very much one of those things where like I don't know, I was kind of surprised by how much time actually passes. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, like, yeah, you really look up and you're like, yeah, it really was, like, these three distinct kind of sections, and it's just kind of their kids, and then they talk on Skype for a bit, and then they meet up in person for a few days, and you're like, this was, like, a two-hour-plus movie? I think it's two hours. And you're just like, wow, that kind of all just kind of breezed right Oh, it's only an hour 46, so I'm exaggerating. But it's it all kind of, breezed, kind of breezed on by, you know? Yeah. In a way. Um, even though, yeah, it's the type of thing where I guess not a lot happens, right? Yeah, quote-unquote. Um, obviously, the performances... Quite solid, right? Oh, very, very strong from all of them. Uh, I believe. What is her name? I'm gonna find the actress's name because I usually I never remember. Uh, Greta Lee. She's obviously up for. We talked about her best actress of the year. She's one of mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think she's. I uh, like she did a great job. She didn't cross the Spider Verse. She Penny? I don't know who is she. We'll find it. But yeah, they're both really good. Obviously, so but so then the idea with that, right? Um, a movie that's entirely this conversations for four hours is gonna be not four hours but is gonna be carried she's interesting person oh, number two voice let's say she's lila she's oh, okay. she's um 
Okay, that makes sense. What's his name? Because he has Oscar Isaac, his interesting person number one. So I'm sure he's that also. So this would suggest he's that's that's Miguel's AI, right? Uh, yes. There you go. What's the same? Oh, but so the dialogue is the is is really good, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now a lot of it is in Korean, or actually the bulk. I guess of the majority, right? Especially between uh, hey Sung and Nora, because hey Sung doesn't really speak English um, much in this movie at all. So most of the big dialogue, I guess, the only stuff that isn't is between. Nora and Arthur, um, which is also very, really interesting. I don't know. I just think this had a lot of interesting stuff to say about love and relationships and the whole nature of that. Mm-hmm. It's obviously very much centered around this idea of like the one who got away, right? Um, but I think it does it differently. I mean, I I think the interesting is it, the interesting the ending is really interesting mm-hmm. um, in that it doesn't have any kind of traditional feel good sort of ending to it. You know, but it's also not super sad either. I guess it's right? feel good in different way yeah because no one everyone kind of keeps going what they're doing and it's it is the right thing because it's very easy it's much more grounded because no one upends their whole lives and they reference that's like i'm yeah. not gonna i'm not gonna run away with this guy i mean i, I really li- like that. i live with you you're my husband and it's like i guess in a lesser movie that doesn't work but in this it does like they directly kind of because he has that whole conversation to him is one of my favorite parts of the movie where her husband Arthur has this whole thing where he literally, yeah, he says that is like I was just thinking this would be like a good movie or whatever he says, yeah, like a good story or plot or whatever. This whole idea of like, and then you guys f- fall apart, and then you and then you reconnect, and you're you like each other so much, and wouldn't that be there? And I'm the evil white husband standing in the way, and it's like I think that scene really worked because mm-hmm. up until that point, I was I was in that sort of my I was content to be in that mindset, right? Of like, well, I want them to get together. Why does this guy have to be <laughs> stupid Arthur? Why'd she marry the stupid white guy? What the heck? <laughs> Um, so then to address that and, and that whole conversation, I thought had a lot of interesting elements to it. Oh yeah, uh, I looked at the end of that uh, conversation when he's like, "I can't. I'm learning Korean, so I can understand when you sleep talk because I'm. I there's part of you I don't. I can't understand. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people. I saw a lot of you uh, dream in a language I don't know. Yeah, that's that's. I really like that. That was a very good line. Yeah, uh, it's that uh, shows uh, exemplary of the exemplary writing of it. It's like yeah, I'm just. He feels just out. He's just there's something he just can't get all the way through. When he I mean, he voiced something that I find really interesting. Like I I feel like I've found myself going down the same kind of path. Just not necessarily in any kind of super bad way, but the whole like he just thinks sometimes like, well, what if it was just a different guy there who fit the same, who was also a writer and single, and he read the same books as you? Would you just be married to him right now? Like, what does that even mean? And she's like, yeah, but that's not how life works. Like, yeah. what are you saying? It's not, but it wasn't a different person, so it it is. It just is interesting. It kind of. I guess feeds into the, the some of the things I sort of think about love, which maybe this is a dumb reference, but it it's it's like in um you know in Game of Thrones, do you remember when Catelyn is trying to like yell at Rob to be like you're an idiot, don't throw your don't yeah. away for this girl, and he's like, but I love her, I love her mom, and he's like, and she's like that's stupid, love is like dumb, love is not a thing, it's a thing you like put together, like you think I love your dad after we had an arranged marriage after his brother who I was supposed to marry was burned alive, and by the the evil crazy king, oh, but we did it, we just kind of figured it out, and obviously that's an extreme example. Right. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But I do think I that's kind of how I feel like maybe it's um a little bit cynical, but I don't think there's a such thing as like true love or like, you know, I guess even like a soulmate in the sense that there's one person out there that's like the only person. Yeah, It's a thing that you just build. It's like you build a life together with someone because of circumstances. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not to say you that, that you can't have a soulmate or whatever or a good. But it's just, yeah, there's no one magical person who's just perfect for you. It's a thing you it, there's a person who happened to live near you, right? Yeah, well, that's most of it. Your so, everyone's soulmate <laughs> happens to live 
within a hundred miles, fifty miles that, of is, them. Yeah, doesn't that always? Isn't that so coincidental? My soulmate's never in fucking Thailand. I'm yeah, like, I just got to get to Thailand. If everyone really had one human being who really matched with them, they'd never the world, find they them. They would never find them. Or we, or we do a lot more traveling. That too. So it's I I I like that idea. I understand where you're thinking of like because that is a weird thing to think about, right? It's just like man, your whole life is kind of just a series of coincidences, right? And of happenstances and. Just being, just kind of being like, well, I got to do this because this is happening. And it goes the other way too. There's a conversation towards the very end when the bar where he's like, where Hey Sung is saying like, yeah, I think about sometimes like how this would go and and what if you hadn't ever emigrated, how that might have gone. And he he says something interesting. Like he even says it. Like sometimes I think, what if we just dated and then broke up, right? Mm. Which is obviously a very plausible thing for people who like fall in love when they're like 10 yeah, or 12 when yeah when they're children and, and yeah they could have dated in high school and then broken up and never talked to each other. or they could have yeah maybe they could have stayed together and been you know sweethearts for the rest of their lives and got married and have kids but it's just and there's no way to know and, and again so much of this movie seems to be around that like one who got away aspect it's it's the lack of like closure where they always think oh this is how it could have gone what what could it be right mm-hmm. if i didn't leave or i didn't do this and i think that's super interesting oh yeah definitely but again, he even has a self-awareness there to be like, yeah, but, you know, it might not have worked out. And it's just, we're just holding on to this because we just didn't get to know kind of thing. Yeah. But in, that's where he has like a sort and this is, I guess, the whole thesis of it all, ultimately. Um, it's the conclusion, at least he comes to, which he seems to get to peace with, right? Which is like, well, you're someone who left. Like that's, which I think both he means like, you're someone who needed to grow and change and like you, you didn't you couldn't be restrained by the life we had kind of thing like you needed to spread your wings sort of thing but also i think in a literal sense he means like part of this whole thing we have going here is that you're is the mystique of you having left yeah if you were just if you were just a girl i knew in korea it wouldn't be quite the same it wouldn't be quite the same and so like th- that was essential to be who you are so if you didn't leave then you wouldn't be you and i guess i wouldn't love you because you wouldn't have that added element you wouldn't be the Nora. person I actually know, kind of yeah. thing. I think that I think that's super interesting. Oh, that definitely. Obviously, the title right comes from this through line that's brought up a few times, which I'm not going to be able to remember the name now. Oh. But it's this concept of I Inya, guess Korean, Inyan. Yeah, in uh, Korean culture, where they, where, she says it, it derives from like Buddhism, right? Which mm-hmm. isn't, I guess, inherent to Korea, but um, Buddhism, where like you know, where, where they believe in reincarnation and all this stuff, and how basically when you get married with someone, it means that you've had. I guess a thousand. Is it no, eight thousand. Eight thousand. It's oh, eight thousand okay. layers of inyun, um, which means in your past lives, you eight thousand times you cross paths and interacted, even in the tiniest ways, right? They say that like inyun could it can be derived from like just bumping into someone, bumping into someone or anything, right? Basically, any time you could, you basically see another person seems to count, right? Being mm-hmm. in the same room or talking to or anything of a person counts, um, and that's how you get to be a. Eventually, if you yeah, you build up eight thousand of those and you get married, kind of thing. Yeah. And so at one point they're like, oh, I guess we, um, maybe the reason we have this relationship is because in a past, like it's, it's, they try to comfort themselves by being like, well, maybe in our past lives we were married. I mean, some kind of relationship. That's why we have, that's why we do have this dynamic now. And then I think, you know, the sort of one of the very, or no, it might be the very fast last line of this, right? Is, is that, and he's like, well, maybe we don't have enough in young yet. Maybe this is, we're still getting there. And then in our future lives, we'll get married. And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, all right, well, see you then. So I'll see, see you around. Goes. I think that's great. Yeah. That last whole sequence is really good. Yeah, I liked, I like it the, how it kind of comes full circle. Because at the beginning, um, when the three of them are in the bar, it's from like on these two onlookers mm-hmm. um, across the bar. 
They're like, what do you think their relationship is? And they're trying to guess who they all are. And like, well, I think that two Asian people are a couple and that's like their friend or it's very interesting. And then Nora looks at them in the camera and then it, eventually we come all the way back around to that scene from their perspective on what's actually happening. And we get the whole thing. Uh, I liked right after they have that conversation, Nora and uh, Hugh Sung, um, when he talks to her, Arthur and the two of them have a talk when he's like, well, we have in young. Like, this yeah. is also in Young. We're all, I we're still having it. Too. And he's like, eh, sorry, we're, we'll all stop talking in only in Korean. We're leaving you out here. I feel bad I'm hitting on your wife. I don't want yeah. like, to. I thought, I ended up liking Arthur's character a lot more than I thought, though. He, he definitely was interesting and had a cool perspective on it, which I guess makes sense knowing that he's based on her real life husband. <laughs> real life husband who. Making him a goober or anything. <laughs> Watch a movie like, maybe a goober? He's actually a well developed, like, character with reasonable yeah. thoughts and feelings. Um, but again, like yeah, like I said, I, I thought his whole—he really did have one of the best ones. And that's the dude I only remember from the Big Short. Oh he's yeah, the, he's that's one of the college where guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one that Brad Pitt's like, you you yeah. killed a bunch of Americans every time. One of them was a one percent X number of people die. He's like, is that a real statistic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that guy. Um, yeah, he killed him. And then they they have that big meaningful like long stare at each other while the Uber Uber rolls up. And then I thought it was because I was like, whoa, I guess that worked out kind of nicely. Um, and then I thought it was super interesting that when she got back, because it's and then it's just a long shot. Of it. We followed him down, and then we're following her back to the apartment, and then she just like collapses into his arms and starts sobbing. And I was like, oh jeez, that almost got me too, because I was like, oh, I guess it worked out. I guess we're all okay. And then when she started crying, and I was almost like, oh god, it almost brought a tear to my eye. Where I was like, oh jeez, well, not all right. There is still something a bit sad about it all, isn't there? Yeah, it's just a, a very definitive end. Yeah, because before it was like, well, we'll when they first start stop talking, it was just like, well, we'll talk again eventually. Just not right now, and then twelve years, whole twelve whole years pass. Um, so this one is this one is like, no, we're never gonna. This is done. We'll never talk to each other as long as we live ever again. Maybe uh, I don't know. I guess they leave it open ended enough because he's like, oh, come visit me in Korea. But I guess they all kind of know that they won't. Saying. Yeah, because like they can't. Yeah, keep visiting. That's the whole point. It's like I came to New York to find you. Like yeah. I haven't stopped thinking about you for another for twenty four years. So if I keep seeing you, it's not going to get, I'm not going to get better. But I think it's interesting. It is interesting as well in, in the same kind of full circle thing that like he seems to have fully kind of come to terms with it. And, and he seems to be, yeah, like he's, he's reconciled with the whole thing and, and seems to be content and, and found the closure he needed. And then it seems like she's actually the more upset one at the end. And she's like, oh, geez, like she wasn't quite ready, I guess, mm-hmm. for a 10 like that, which is crazy. If I, if I was Arthur, I definitely still would have to feel some kind of way about that. Yeah, probably. Life like, comes like and breaks down in my arm. I'm like, I'll never see him again. And it's like, why is that a? Huh? I'm still your husband, right? I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here. Yeah, why don't you cry into my arms about this other man, would you? <laughs> Just for a little bit. But no, I get it. Arthur seems like an emotionally intelligent kind of individual. He would understand. He's a writer. He wrote. He wrote a book called Boner. <laughs> he did. What uh, do you think that book's about? I, w- I was hoping they would like tell us. I don't know. I never got to know what his book was it's about. A little dicky looking ass motherfucker yeah, writing a book called Boner. Hell? Exactly. It's like the penis of novels. Yeah. What it's got a doing? balloon animal on it. What the fuck? Come on. Even is that? Think it'll win Best Picture? No. I don't. Yeah. I said any other. It's just like most of these movies. Any other year? What I had it. Then again, it might. I don't know. It's the type of thing that would win. It's the type of thing where they would look at like an Oppenheimer and be like, wow, what a spectacle of filmmaking on every level, right? Not just the acting and the character stuff, but everything. And they would still just be like, but past lives is very nice. <laughs> No, because I I think they which it was get, but subtitled they don't like well I guess like parasite they did parasite that's that's what I was gonna say now this one I don't think actually counts or I guess I don't know how they actually what their criteria for that is right for foreign language films 
Because this is an American um, production, as far as I understand. Day 24. Um, so, and then I was looking at the other ones because I think the only one that is, the only ones that are actually foreign language are Anatomy of a Fall, and which Zone is a French interest. movie, and Zone of Interest, which is a German movie. Po- well, it's not. Oh, no, it's, it's made a, by it's Poland. It's a Polish, yeah. Polish-American co-production thing. But yeah, it's obviously a lot in German, but also in Polish and Yiddish. Um, so I guess those two would only count if they were doing that by their own. So I guess in the old rules, this those two would be in foreign language, foreign language, and not in this. Is that still a category they have at all? I don't pay attention. I think they might have internet. I'll look right now. Because you remember when when Parasite won? That's which is still one of the most baffling. It, it to me, it just is in terms of the Oscars. It just shows, like I always say, there is still that human sort of psychology component to it, right? Where it is ultimately just people picking this stuff and, and making decisions that are not necessarily based purely in logic. Yeah. International feature film. So that is still on there? Because uh, I was Zone of Interest is in international See, feature film. Yeah, so Parasite was as well, if you remember. Which was so, what was so goofy to me is because Parasite won Best Picture, but it didn't win Best International Picture. Which very much reeks to me of people saying, well, we have to pick two different ones. Yeah, we can't give but it to logically both. speaking, if Parasite was the best picture, it would have to be the best international picture as well, right? Yeah. Unless one of the other, unless the one that did win, which I don't remember, right? Who could remember? Was Cause, better because Parasite than won Parasite, which means why was that one not in contention for best picture as well, where it could also win? Yeah, because because sort of the inherent implication to that, right, is that by Parasite making it from international to into best into the general best picture, that means it's already kind of a cut above. It's the only one that we're considering for. Mm-hmm. It's a whole. It's fucking stupid, is what it is. Okay. Yes. Yeah, either make it not a. Either make neither of them a category, or make them. I, I don't one know. One category. One category. Or especially because Parasite did a Oscar sweep and just like got a shit ton of them. He won like six or seven or something. Mm-hmm. Well deserved, but just give him the. So eighth. was Anatomy for of a Fall in there? No. Also, maybe it doesn't count. Then. I don't know. There's only five of them. Or maybe it didn't make them. Didn't make the cut. Which again, why is it there then? <laughs> How does any of this work? Who knows? We're just human. I thought it. Unless I was wrong. Let's see real quick. Okay. Uh, languages French, English, German is a French legal drama thriller. Yeah, so if it's a French, fi- I mean, if it's literally a French film, you speak mostly yeah, French. It's got a French thing. I think they. Yeah. They speak English for some of it, though, which is a Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. Do you see it? Yeah, I saw it today, actually. Oh. Are you watching Anatomy of a Fall? Netflix, uh, Amazon. Oh, geez, getting out ahead of me, huh? You weren't on Amazon. So, so there you go. Um, What did you what did you give it on? The old Past Lives Stars. Or, uh, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, three and a half. You only give it three and a half. Wow. Yeah, I liked it, but... Well, it's a whole star less. Than it's a whole star less. Well, what can I say? Like you said, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a gatekeeper. <laughs> I gotta say, though, we're having a really good record so far, huh? Oh, yeah. We have not... We have yet to hit one where we're like, this is a bit foofy, right? Well, you didn't watch Maestro. Yeah, but you liked... You did like Maestro. I did like Maestro. You, apparently, according to score-wise, you liked Maestro more than... But, right. uh, yeah, that is... That's been the... This, that's your... That's your... Uh, what's the word? I'm trying to think of, like... The one you haven't done or like an enemy of it. Uh-huh. I can't think of like a term that would be. I'm thinking of a term, but I can't. Yeah. Whatever. You know what I mean. happens to me all the time. Yeah. I know. I feel you, it, Jack. It's got to be a word for that. But yeah, Maestro has been my, um. it's sort of been the. the Albatross. I, oh, yeah. That's what I was <laughs> what thinking. I can't get. I don't know if it works. but I don't know if it thing. does either, but. um. We'll, we'll call it that. Who cares? It's been my, it's, it's, it's been the one I've dreaded the most. Let's just say that. Yeah. I thought, I, yeah, I guess I was kind of hard on past lives, but like, I ultimately, I guess if you had to. I guess I thought it would probably be more interesting. Maestro does seem pretty fluffy to me. I don't know. You liked it, though, so I guess maybe it would be fine. I think that I told you when we talked about it, but I think the internet really poisoned me against him. 
because I'm like against really Bradley is, Cooper. He really is trying too hard, maybe, and I don't know if I care for that. Yeah, he's the villain of this Oscar season. But again, maybe it's actually good. So then I, I don't know. You like? Yeah. Well, really, I, I'm two for I'm two for you. You're two for two on movies that I said I was like we should watch these, and you said I don't know if I'd like them. We're past uh, not past past lives and poor things. It's true. All right, so that is true. Although I actually I don't I don't know if I ever really thought I wouldn't like past lives as much as I just. I, I will say this: I feel like of everything now. Again, I've not seen. I still have what three more, two more, three more, three more to get through them. Because you have Zone oh, Adventures, yeah, Adventures but yeah. Um, but from what I understand about the, although maybe Maestro's in there too, it's it's like the very much the lowest stakes of any of these, right? Yeah. Which isn't necessarily doesn't mean much in and of itself, but just like most of these other ones are bigger spectacles, I should say. I guess maybe is how to phrase it, mm-hmm. right? So for this one, which again, like I said, it ultimately still is just two people meeting in New York or whatever. They did it, and, they, they did, and by God, they did it. But <laughs> I that that is still the case. Mm. So compared to some of these other ones, I expected to compared to the murder of the Osages and uh, the building yeah. of the atomic bomb and yeah. Barbie, right? Which are just a lot more spectacular in a, in a literal sense, a lot bigger scope. Yeah, more than three people talk. But Maestro's in a similar category there as well, in terms of just like it's just to do. I don't know. It's like that one does seem like it's it's maybe the more potential. But I mean, I guess Anatomy and a Fall of a Fall and, and Zone of Interest have their own potential as well to be a bit pretentious. But those are both pretty good. Regardless, my point still stands that thus far we're we're at a pretty good strike rate. I say so too. These and are it all... seems like we're going to be on track here for this to be the first one where we get all of them. We get, I think we'll get them all. I've already got them all. I've, I've so I really hold out on. You saw Zone of Interest too. I saw. Where'd yeah, you watch yeah. all these? Uh, I watched Past Lives on and Never Fall on Amazon, and I watched Zone of Interest on Friday. Where? At the Dipson Amherst Theater. Oh, you went to the, you went out. Why didn't you ask me? You asked me to come to the movies. The you fuck, like, Jack? You don't like going to other movie theaters. You're very against it. No, I know it's true. Well, I'm not against. And well, and I did it for and I did it for timeline. Financially, I say. Uh, and I did it for my own timeline. It's just it's just foolish ultimately for me to spend money because I have the regal past. You know I have the regal. I know you have the regal. Don't make past. me out like a to sound like an unreasonable well, no, man. No, I I don't mean to. You do it well. Sometimes it's a little unreasonable because if you think about it, if you really it's one 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 movie you you can live. That's technically true. I understand what you're saying. I do understand the point you're making. But I don't ask you to do it very often. But at the same in the same vein, at that point, doesn't it still not just make more sense to still just get an, an additional movie for free? I'm only I'm only you know shoring up my ratios then. But it's not my point is it's not in the regal. It's not showing in the regal. I know, and that's what's done me in. That's what's done you in. And I am gonna fall. You're gonna have to watch on Amazon. That's fine. I can. But it'll be cheaper than a movie th- if you went to see in the movies. So it's true. Well, they did have it at one of the. The reason we didn't watch an anime of fall this, which was initially what I was leaning towards, because again, it was like a little bit more high stakes than two people meeting in New York, was because <laughs> it was only at like the far away one, and I was like, I'm not going there. It was one right by where I work, and I was like, I'm not driving all the way back up. Yeah. Yeah, but I was going to I guess drive. you should have just hung out at work for an additional I would have killed my life. Like, when we did it for American Fiction, I, had, I, was, I was feeling horrible. <laughs> I was like, I'm never doing this shit again. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, because I had come right from work, so I'm in all my oh, work clothes. Right from work, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I bring some clothes in your car. And I'm changing in my car in the right. bathroom. Go, go, like, mill about some stores. That's what I would do, I guess. I've never known to do that sometimes. Kill some time. I don't know. You're right, though. And they were just going. What you're saying, yeah. Put fresh clothes. But yeah, good, good actual Oscar season so far. Maybe, maybe the Oscars are back, baby. Maybe cinema is back. I was, you know, I was thinking about it today. Yeah, I was like, man, it really would have been. It really would have 
put last year up to another level if they just had let Dune come out in November? Because then everyone would have been like, we're really bad. Because if all the movies we just mentioned came out, and then also Dune Part 2. You're, you're so right. The better part of Dune. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, right? It went crazy. I, didn't appre- well, I mean, I thought of it, but like, uh, yeah, I didn't appreciate that if Dune had come out. It probably would have been this Oscar race. It would have to be. It, it might be. It would have probably replaced Holdovers. It has to be up for Holdovers. It have to be up for something. I think it would have knocked out Holdovers or American Fiction. But if I had to pick, if I had to say, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess if you gotta, if you gotta pick one, well, if someone's gotta leave. Someone's gotta lose to. If I Dune had part to, two. if I had to pick, well, I mean, it's hard. Well, I guess we shouldn't. say. <laughs> We've literally not seen Dune Part Two, but if I had yeah. to think what I suspect Dune Part Two will be like, um, it probably actually would desert more than Barbie. Oh, you for know reasons what? we talked about. As much You're... as we love Barbie, it's just it is still seeming kind of weird to me that Barbie's up for best picture. But what is it? I feel like I saw... my friend sent me something. Uh, uh, this is it. My friend Tommy sent me a post that said Christopher Nolan has called Dune Part Two Denis Villeneuve's Empire Strikes Back. Whatever that means. On the one hand, that's like wow. On the other hand, it's like I feel like that's nothing. That's a nothing statement. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like yeah, it's the second part. No shit. Oh, did he make the Part Two <laughs> sci-fi epic movie? Yeah, thanks, Nolan. What the fuck are you talking about? What does that even mean? Got my Oppenheimer thinks he's Mr. Movies over here. I got one eight, like, well, but in a very real sense, it's not much like Empire because usually nowadays when people say something is the Empire Strikes Back of something, they're referring to the fact that it ends poorly for the heroes, and poorly for the and, and really sets up the third installment, which I suppose should. But even even though he intends to do Dune Messiah, Dune Messiah, that's not. I don't. I don't know, but I don't think it's the same. I think Dune is pretty self-contained still. The size, it's its quite comical to me. Whenever I see the size of Dune and the size compared to the size of Dune Messiah, because it's like a third of the size of yeah, yeah. Dune. I do want, I, it is interesting that they're doing the, the, the three-part idea of it all. Because there's much more, that there's more movies, but he said explicitly he would stop at three. He won't do, I know a lot of people have said that like this makes the most, I mean, we've never read them, so these people would know, I guess, but. It very much keeps going, so I don't know why it is that people say like you can just stop. He because he because uh, Paul is in the main character after two. I know, but I, I think that's why he wouldn't just to be like this is Paul's story because Leto does so much. Well, Leto does like, that's when things God get Emperor fucking Doom. crazy. That's, and children I, that's what I mean, right? It's, so. cho- it, it's children then God Emperor, or is it God Emperor? Then I don't know. I, I never remember point. which one's which. Point. Yeah, I think it's children I think then God Emperor. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. And then it's the four, fifth one, and then Chapter House Dune. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that would have been quite the year, huh? Although I mm. guess now he gets to have maybe that was also part of the logic. Maybe it was that exact thing. So he can have the whole year like, to himself. There's too much heat this year. We gotta yeah. move it. We gotta move it back. We're not gonna win our Oscars. Denny, Denny's not gonna get anything if he's got to go up against Nolan and Scorsese and fucking all of them. Yeah. You know. So, but isn't it? Be- I mean, but what glory is there to to lose against? You know, that's not how this exact thing is it though, Jack. No, no, no. There's no, they have no honor. They have no honor. LeBron James would not, LeBron James would much prefer to beat Larry Bird or Magic Johnson in their prime. He wouldn't want to beat, I don't know, what's the worst best player I can think of? I don't know, a child. <laughs> he plays a bunch of 15-year-olds. He's going to win easy money. He's going to dunk all over him. But there's no victory in that. There's no joy. No. There's no, no there's no thriller or stakes. Exactly. He's going to have to beat out, I don't know, fucking Kong S. What yeah. competition is for Dune 2 this year? Yeah, we talked about it. Wait, this. no, the Megapolis movie's coming out. He's got a, <laughs> he's going to do Francis Ford Coppola. I don't really. They say so. That's what I've heard, but Coppola says so. He scrapped it because of 9 11. Coppola hasn't made a good Coppola. Francis hasn't made a good movie since the fucking 80s. Coppola is going to really show us up with the most fraught film production I've ever heard of. In- but Adam Driver's in it, so it'll get at least one star from me. There you go. <laughs> Only one. He loves being in those because he was in um he was in that Don Quixote movie that took 
like 30 years to get made. Oh, the man who killed Don Quixote, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Is that about, is that actually just an adaptation of the novel or is it something else? Yes. <laughs> Good enough for me. So we got anything It's a little bit both. A little comedy, a little comedy. Okay. I really don't know. I like that. I read Don Quixote. Me neither. First novel. I got to start from season one. Fights and Windmill, though. You know that, right? He does fight and Windmill. You ever think that's bullshit? When they say, like, Him- it's the first novel? The fuck does that mean? That means it's the first, like, novel in the way that we consider novels to be novels. That's bullshit. There's no way that's true. I, I don't know, man. On principle, I well, based I, on nothing at all. Here's I, the thing: I we're doing the exact thing. You're like, that can't be true. <laughs> I don't want it to be true. I don't know enough about it to dispute it. Is it an English language? Or no, it's it, Spanish. That's what I thought. So it's not like the first English novel. It's just the first novel conceptually. Yeah, that seems. Give the Spanish something, man. They ain't got much going on these Fine. days. Fine. <laughs> we shall allow the Spanish Don Quixote. <laughs> all right. So what? I got Speaking of novels, oh my god, we're gonna do it. Holy shit, it's here. We're going to do Stormlight. All right, so this is the section where if you're not a big nerd like us, I guess you kind of just got to... It's like Wheel of Time. You know you know the Wheel of Time episodes where you go fucking and you turn it off? Us a bit. This is just for us to faff about for the next... What is it? Ooh, three hours, maybe. So uh, I read all of Stormlight in about two months. I really, really blew through it as fast as I possibly could. Yeah. You, you really... You, I did the thing I always do. What do you think I did? Oh, That's yeah, what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. We were really living up to that same... Uh, Legacy, I don't know. I can't. Yeah. Words escape me. But um, that's what I had when I first read it. Cause they're fucking sick books, eh? They're sick books. They're and so I knew, and I knew what happened. So they're I, like I was like, well, I don't you know. didn't know as much as you might have expected, though. I right? knew the important parts. Yeah, but here's the thing, Jack. You know what I'm gonna say? It's the journey before the journey before yeah, the destination, yeah, yeah. baby. Also, I had this thing that I've I've brought. You ready? <laughs> okay. Excellent. This is evidence I've brought against you. Evidence you brought against me? Mo- no, actually, that's not fair. <laughs> it's not evidence I've brought against you. It's evidence I've brought in support of myself. And there's a distinction there that okay. I think is, is is that's a razor thin distinction. No, 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 no. I think it's worthwhile. I'm I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to get you as well. <laughs> okay, okay. It's like a tr- cornered animal. It's like we're just gonna give you. A, it's like you're gonna take you to the vet. I don't go to the vet. Fuck, is it gone to me? Maybe lost to me. <gasps> it's lost to time. Oh, here it is. Okay. Are your type things? What's this? What's this about? <laughs> I don't know why that. I don't know why that did. <laughs> How the fuck did that happen? It's not even on. Turn the ring around. Um. So this is an NPR article, okay. Um, which basically is just the the, the uh, crux of it is that they did a um, study. The University of Cal UC San Diego did a study. Great, great university, as far as I understand. Actually, so this is a real aside here. I saw a thing this week about this how, fa- about the other a, thing was a fake aside. Yeah, yeah about American land grant universities and how they're actually sick ass. Really, there's this guy on Twitter. He's like a he's like a dude. He's like a he's like a tw- he's he's becoming a bit of a Twitter. Uh, I don't know celebrity, celebrity guy, micro celebrity for like arguing with like um right wing dudes on Twitter. That's um, kind of based. It's kind of based, yeah. I gotta say, but anyways, one of them, someone tried to make fun of him for going to I don't remember where, but some state school like Minnesota or some shit. And he's like, yeah, that's a good school. And they're like, oh, this is, this is. he's a French guy, and he's like, oh, this is stupid school. That's how I imagine talk to him. <laughs> you do, you go to embarrassing school in public. <laughs> no one even heard of me. This and it's like because people can the European mind can't comprehend how fucking sick most americans colleges are um even just, like yeah we just take it for granted i think but we just have like a thousand not literally i don't know how many but like tons and tons of like just they're just public schools yeah now there are expensive that or even a lot of the public ones are still kind of expensive that's a whole factor but still they're sick ass i saw a thing that uc san diego has more nobel prizes than like several other countries whoa 
And the other thing you have to remember about that too is that some of the country, some of the, when you say like, oh, this country has a Nobel Prize, that's a that's a person from that country who came to America and got a Nobel Prize at one of our universities. That's kind of how it goes. There's the same thing with that with swimming. Uh, I had a friend who was um, from Brazil, and he swam in the swim team. He was like, yeah, there's a uh, the there's a statue of a swimmer from uh, in Brazil, but he's not the best swimmer. He's the second best swimmer because the best swimmer uh, came to America to <laughs> swim here. <laughs> and they didn't like that, so they built the set to the second fastest guy who wouldn't leave. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, so UC San Diego, uh, they did a study where it they um, basically the the long short of it is they determined that people who um, the story was spoiled actually enjoyed it more. Oh, not study. I read that story study in like an SAT once. Oh, did you? I repeat the people all the time. Yeah. Was it this NPR article? It might it, be the same exact it, thing. It, I bet you dodged the notes. It was. It might be the same exact thing. Well, so there you go, Jack. Yeah, but you I probably were your experience was heightened, if anything. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Um, and I've heard Brando Sando say this exact same thing before. And also, I think it's funny because one of the tenets of the whole story, the first one of the Nice Reading, is Journey it's Before Journey De- Before Destination. And I was it reading, so perfectly. I was, I, I literally had a moment. I was reading the first book. And I was like, "Well, I know what happened." And I, I thought of, I was like, "God damn, he got me." I got Fuck. you, didn't I? It's it's built in. no Brandon got me. You we didn't guys, get me. No, we were we were in cahoots. We did it together. All right, I guess. Brando got on the phone with me, and we said, "How are we gonna get this fucking guy?" All right, All right you're gonna start reading this. You're gonna explain every single part of the way kings to him at like, the yes, job he both yes, had. I understand. Yes, keep you're going. going to tell a guy who doesn't know what you're talking about, about Dustbringers, and he's definitely going to care so much. Okay, incredible. Yes, tell nice. him about Elucar. Well, because here's the thing: I also, having also actually read them all, and so really fully getting the blind experience. I, um, what I'm saying is, I knew even more than you, obviously, right? Because mm-hmm. I, again, literally actually read them. I also reading through this time was like, wow, what a time I'm having, um, because it really is the type of experience. Uh, series that benefits from that right yeah more so i would say even then maybe even like the wheel of time just as an example because that's the big other big one we wrote i'm assuming the real example we have to go off of but Mm -hmm. i think i've said before but one of the things brandon sanderson is really good at i think is sprinkling this kind of stuff in both within a series and also within a singular novel is he puts stuff in plain sight early on that it's too early you don't yet have yes you don't yet have the context to understand it um, but if you do, uh, like on a reread, it stands out in a really interesting way. And you're like, wow, he really snuck that. He got that one right past the goalie in a, in a super interesting mm-hmm. way. Um, you know, there's stuff in the first book even that is like set up and paid off within the first book. But it's right there and you just have no way to know. Right. So I will say, before we get too much into the weeds of it, uh, for this segment, if anyone is listening to this part, uh, we're covering the first two books and Edge Dancer, the first novella. We thought about doing... We're going to do each one individually, and then we're going to do all four, but then they run into the opposite problem. So I figured it was best that we divide it into the two parts that are the Shattered Plains part, which are books one and two, The Way of Kings and the Words of Radiance, and then next week or in some near near future, we'll do book three, Oathbringer, uh, Don Shard, the second novella, and Rhythm of War, book four. So his first two books, um, I would say, I got to say, The Way of Kings, I don't know, I feel like it's the one of the best or the best of four it, it's it's real tough for me thinking about these because i don't know the, the way of kings even knowing the most about it it was great yeah i was like fuck man that's not a great stuff in this book i i totally agree i i felt the same way when i read them um and it, yeah even on a reread i i agree i think they all hold up in the sense that it is hard to pin down which one is the best mm-hmm. quote unquote right 
Um, and there was like a recency thing where I feel like each time I finish one, I'm like, well, that was the best one. And then I read the next one. I'll be like, well, come on. <laughs> this is a better one. Um, the Way of King. You're right, though. The Way of King still may be the best. And it's weird because on the one hand, it also, I think, probably gets the most criticism. Maybe that and Rhythm of War, I think, get, mm, get the I think really more criticism. Yeah, from what I've, little I've seen. Um, you know, The Way of Kings is kind of, it is kind of slow in a way, right? It takes a long, it's it's a slow burn. Um you know, I can understand the criticism that, like, so, so our main character, who is almost sort of the main, the mainest of the main characters, is an ensemble cast, just like the Wheel of Time. But um, mm-hmm. if there's one who could said to be the sort of, who could be said to be the sort of first among equals, I guess it's Kaladin, right? Yeah. I mean, he's the main guy of the first one in particular. So the the way that the Soulmate Archive is set up is that each book has a um, character, which is the, the flashback character, who intercut with the current sort of timeline um plot and stuff has flashbacks to their past right mm-hmm. so in the first one it's kaladin um but so his plotline in particular in this first one i it definitely is kind of like samey for a lot of it right it's it is uh, lots and lots of of somewhat the same although i do think it is kind of different upon closer inspection enough like things are happening but basically people point to it and say well he's a he's a bridgeman slave for the whole book yeah basically and that to the absolute very end which is there is truth to that, uh, but his circumstances change enough, I think, to keep it interesting. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I would say, up till we are, it's he still may have the most compelling flashbacks as well. Yeah. Now he has the benefit of we. The thing is, is like as it goes along, it, it kind of gets harder to hide the flashback stuff, I suppose. Right. Mm-hmm. Hide, hide these parts of the character because once you're four bucks in, like, and that's the biggest problem with I think rhythm. Or one of the biggest problems. Um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but. Those flashbacks tell us, I feel like, almost nothing new. new, Or not very much, not enough new to be super interested. Um, And they're not in a lot of the book. Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but. Right. So we'll we'll say that. We'll end up there. Yeah. But with Kaladin, it's the first book we know the very least about the world that we're ever going to know and the characters. So the Kaladin flashback stuff is really compelling, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just the the dichotomy of where he starts and where he is. yeah, this whole thing is that uh, he well, he's got uh, well. The point of all of them, I think, all of our main characters is that they exist like an almost an in within them in their personalities. There's a, like two parts of them that are incongruent and yet have to coexist. Because Kaladin is his father's a surgeon and he's trained as a surgeon, but also he's like the greatest fighter who has ever lived. Maybe like he's a he's like a prodigy of war and combat and martial ability. And he has to grapple with that because he just loves it. But he also likes to help people and he has to decide kind of which he wants to be and which... Or if he can do both at all. If they can be the same, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I find... I mean, he, he's the best one. I think all his stuff is great. I, cause I, I think, think so too. Because I think he is Braden's like, well, this is... He's the first one for a reason. Like, he's the guy who, unlike... Uh, despite what people say, he's probably going to last at least to book 10. Cause gonna be I think t- so. There's yeah. going to be 10 of these, but again, ahead of ourselves. Yeah. My thing with, um, and, and I know people do get sick of him, but I, I never do. Yeah, I think he's, I think it's my favorite all the way. I think, I think it's great. I can't see the shame about some of our other point of view. Yeah. <laughs> our main characters. Cause um, yeah, people, um, yeah, people get sick of Kaladin. Some people do. They think it's, and again, for the same reason, like it is kind of samey throughout a lot of his, where he, he does touch on the same stuff in a lot of books, but I think it's different enough. And, and I don't know. I, I feel like it's done in fresh enough ways each book. But yeah. Like you said, Kaladin's big thing is he's a uh, trained as a surgeon. Um, and then through some circumstances, he has to 
join the army and go off to war. And he doesn't get to finish his training. Um, basically to go save his brother, who's also been conscripted. So he's like, well, I'll go along to protect him. He fails to do so, and... Becomes a slave. Yeah, basically through a number of events. Um, well, for one thing, he doesn't he doesn't return home because he doesn't... He, he can't face his parents with his failure kind of thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, through cer- certain circumstances, he becomes a slave. And then a bridge man, which is like the worst kind of slave. This type of warfare they're doing on these big, like, broken open chasms. Where you need these bridges to cross them with your armies. So they have a bunch of guys who are like the lowliest and... Lower than slaves. Uh, um, among them, whose job it is to carry this, this, the uh, bridges so they can get across. But, you know, as it comes to be found out across the course of the book, right? Like, they're also just kind of meant to be... Uh, cannon fodder. Yeah, cannon fodder. Just, just arrow sponges so that more valuable troops aren't shot in the opening mm-hmm. cell. So it's a, it's a really horrible existence. Oh yeah, um, but he just about the worst thing you can have done to you. Despite it all, they they eke out some some honor and some dignity, and the lowest of them become the highest of them. And which all is, kind of a, is a sick thing. Yeah. Uh, another thing with Kaladin and with all with a lot of the, a lot of the, our main uh, characters, um, who are the main characters of each short book, is that he has depression, just like actual clinical yeah, depression. Say, yeah. uh, and a lot of them have just like real like. Um, medical um, mental disorders uh that they just kind of have to deal with and that's not a th- and obviously brandon's a, a smart author he's not just going to be like and then they get the magic and then they're healed because that's not how his magic works um it's pretty hard it's not hard and fast it's not hard and fast it's pretty well it's pretty hard and rigid this is what it does and doesn't do anything else well basically the, the with this um series in particular with the whole thing with stormlight is that the the magic system also centers around um the knight's radiant where this ancient order and it's the it's a classic fantasy thing of like this is the thing from the distant past and it's coming back to life. The magic returns and all the that. magic is returning and we're learning it. And um, but yeah, so it's basically it's this ancient order of people and and you know, long story short, like you you bond the spren with a well, there's ever they're everywhere on Rashar basically, but there's specific ones who are like sentient because there's ones who represent nature and emotions and all this, but then there's ones who are you know bits of divinity given life and they have their own sapience to them. You can bond them, and through the applied use of uh, certain oaths, depending on what your thing is, right? If you you're basically making promises and and you know to do the right thing and to act in a particular way, you get access to greater and greater strength, power. Which they come to realize for it's for a number of reasons that it's kind of intentionally almost locked behind, you know, the, the oaths. Like you need to you need to make certain promises and, and be yeah. a certain kind of way, but. Yeah, so the the internal logic of that, though, is that all the Knights Radiant, in order to forge those bonds to, to gain that power, there needs to be holes in your... They call it soul, but it's it's a little more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. In the Cosmere, there's a whole... You have a, it's called a spirit web, because um, there's the whole... The realmatic theory. There's like three realms that everything exists upon. So in the spiritual realm, you can get holes, which is basically just like what we can think of as, yeah, like trauma and... Mm-hmm. Like you said, like... um. Mental illness. Yeah, mental illness and stuff. So yeah, all of the characters, basically, in order to, to form a radiant bond, it's kind of implied that you have to be broken in some way. Now, that also doesn't mean you ev- everyone has to be the same level, because also kind of a key idea of it all is that everyone is broken in some way, mm-hmm. right? No, no, no one is perfect. Like, we're all damaged and traumatized in our own kind of ways, which is how it gets in. But yeah, like you said, Calder in particular has, like, just clinical depression. Like, he, obviously, part of it does relate to the um, circumstances he finds himself in 
throughout the series, right? Mm. He does go through some pretty heavy stuff, but it also is, he makes a, Brando makes a point for sure of, of saying that, like, it's not necessarily tied to anything either, though, right? Sometimes, especially when it's flashback he's a kid, it, it, it there's a part where it just rains a lot. There's a season on this planet where it rains a lot. And he's like, he just feels sad. Like, he doesn't like. Yeah, he, he has like seasonal affect disorder. Mm. Yeah. Which only his brother helps him. So when his brother dies, it's an extra crush because now he does. he's lost something very, that helps him through like the year. Um, so then we're not going to what he finishes, I guess, in the way of Kings. We get into other characters. So we have Dalinar. He's our other principal guy throughout the whole thing. Well, I guess Shallan's technically the. The bigger one, I tech- I think I would say, right? Yeah, but, she, but everything's distinct. She's not on the Shattered book. Plains yeah. yet. So Dalinar's a high prince. Um, He's the brother of the king. Well, I guess we also got to start, we're jumping around a little bit because there's a lot to mm-hmm. talk about. But the whole the whole premise of it, the whole conceit and why it starts is that five years before the story begins, uh, the king of this country, Alvkar, which Dalinar and Kalinar are both citizens of, Kalinar just being a, like a, a regular citizen and Kalinar being a high prince, uh, he's killed by this man named Zeth, who's the assassin in white. And he kills Gavilar, Dalinar's brother, um, and sends the, all the Alethi to war against these beings called, these other non-human race called the Pershendi, who live on the planet, who live on the Shattered Plains, and that's why they're there. So, he runs the camp, and kind of, yeah, runs the, runs the, he's one of the high princes of the camp. Yeah. He's like one of the more powerful ones. He's obviously closely allied to, and is trying to help out his brother's son. And being a better king and stuff, and his thing in this book is that he's been having these visions, which um, basically for most of the book, himself and and the people around him, even the ones, even the people who love him, right, uh, much less his enemies and his you know detractors, basically think he's just going insane. He's yeah. just losing his mind for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it comes to, we come to learn it's not obviously not the case. It's it's actually like somewhat divinely inspired, but he's. Getting in, um, what was I going to say? I don't know, he, but he's just getting, uh, visions and, like... He's getting God's voicemails. Yeah. Essentially. And, and uh, to put in a fun way. Of a days long past, he gets to see just events of the Night's Radiant we spoke of. and Yeah, he's learning about the history of the Night's Radiant and, and the planet and the, the sort of eternal conflict that has defined their history. Yeah, for thousands of years. Um, man, these. These books are so long. These books are also insanely long. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's like they're like tw- all all of them are like twelve hundred pages each. But basically, to put it put a long story short, his plot in this one is deciding to based upon his visions. He he both decides that his visions are are accurate or, or not. He's not just going crazy, and they're he, he chooses to believe that they're not from like some um, evil some source. Evil source, um, and believing that he's doing what they say, he decides to trust one of his fellow high princes. Um, which eventually proves to be uh, faulty. Mm, the, the, the guy betrays him. And that's where the two plots culminate, is that Kaladin and his bridge crew are the only people um, with the ability and the desire to help Dalinar, and they save his life. And that begins the whole uh, the rest of the series, basically, where they're they're connected. and yeah, Very closely. And Dalinar uh, saves Kaladin and, and saves all, not just Kaladin's bridge crew, but all the bridge crews he... He buys them all from his other high prince, Sadius, who's just so sad, um, and trades this his shard blade for it, which is just this very powerful sword that cuts through anything and cuts your soul out. And we don't need to get into what that is yet. Um, he trades it, and to show his great amount of honor, because everybody wants... The, the shard blade's a very, obviously very powerful weapon, and everybody wants it, and especially Sadius. There's not very many of them. Yeah. You can't make any more. 
Yeah, it's like Valyrian steel. Like everybody wants this thing. So he trades it, and so it's like there is someone you can trust because Calvin's like racist towards uh, like class. I guess classes towards people above him. Uh, so yeah, that's the end of their plot. And then there's Adolin too, but he's not as important. Yeah, he's just another perspective for Dalinar's camp to be like, is my dad going crazy? He's just his oldest son, and I guess we didn't even say, but yeah, throughout the book, Kaladin forms. Well, we I guess we think about the time to be the very first. But we learned it's not quite. But one of the very first uh, radiant bonds to to come back because again, it's it's this ancient thing that they're relearning and they're reforging. Yeah. So he becomes one of the the very first new knights radiants, and that's yeah. part of the reason he's able to succeed. And he swears his oaths and stuff, which is my, one of my favorite aspects of the whole thing. We've talked about it on this very show before when I was talking about like the wheel of time, right? And how the Stormlight Archive is perhaps really. I don't know, simplistic, almost almost heavy-handed with the way it does these character development moments, right? Mm. Because he has this, like, predefined system by which your character says out loud... Their arc. Their sort of arc, right? The, the new thing they've learned, the new character development they've undergone, and, and the way in which they will be better. Um, and it often serves as these super climactic moments in a lot of the books. Um, and on the one hand, that is kind of like... I don't know, simplistic or easier. It's very in your face, right? It doesn't leave much up to uh, interpretation to just have your character say the next thing they're going to do. But I don't know, man. I'm a sucker for them. I think they work. I think it builds up. Themselves. I think it builds up enough because it, it usually happened towards the end. They never happen in the middle. Yeah. Because then, is he is enough of the book? He he gives himself enough time to like have the character actually like think about all the things and be like, okay, now I. I've done enough and I've experienced enough that I can say these and mean it and understand why I have to mean it. Because you have to mean it. Because it happens later on, but again, it's, anyway, where characters will try to say their respective words and they'll be rejected because, like, you're you're not ready for that yet. Or even Kaladin at points can't, he knows he, he knows them, but he can't say them because then he has to live them. Mm. So he doesn't feel he's at that point yet emotionally, um, which I like. Yeah. Uh, also, a thing with Dalinar is that uh, he, he starts to hate war. The whole thing with the Alethi is that they are they love war. They're like the Spartans if they were like if they ruled all of Greece. Yeah. Uh, or the Romans. I guess Romans are probably a better example because the Romans loved war. Um. So he's like he was like their best war guy for a while, and now he's like actually I think war is horrible, and I think I hate it. And everyone's like, "What are you fucking pussy? What the hell's going on here?" Um. So that's interesting, and that'll come up later. But into Shalon, we didn't forget about Shalon. Shalon is the um, youngest scion of a minor house in a different country that has like cultural similarities, but is it is still distinct from Alethkar, where our other guys are from. But her plot is long and short is that her uh, her father has died, leaving them um, in debt to some very dangerous people. And the plot that he, her and her brothers have have cooked up to try to get them out of this is to obtain a soulcaster, which is a very rare, also you know on makeable device um which can just be used to um just like transmorph stuff into anything well it's they're limited oh, very specific they, but yeah, anything they, you would need really yeah including like precious gems is the big one which would be quite helpful in this case so they hatch a plot to uh for shallan to make herself ward to uh well to Dalinar's niece just the older sister of the king i think is it older i think it is no, yeah, she's older yeah uh, the older sister of the king, um, and then steal hers. Um, but basically, across the course of her plot, 
in a sort of predictable fashion, I suppose, right? She she comes to like actually respect Yasna and not want to steal from her and also like come to really enjoy being a ward and not want to throw it away and she wants to actually learn and be a scholar. Legitimately become a real scholar and all that. Um and wouldn't you know it by the end she also is forming a raiding bond as well. And so Yasna's like, You're not going anywhere. I'm bringing you on board. You're part of the team. We're 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 gonna go save the world. We got it. Yeah, that's when we first. Yeah, yes, is probably the most. She gets real into it. She's like, we gotta go stop these things called the Void Bringers because they're bringing about the desolations. Which they're are basically the same. At this, at the point of like the present time of the story, right, have sort of faded into like myth or religious sort of dogma almost. That in the distant past there was these desolations where these monsters, basically these you know, incomprehensible like horrors, horrors would wage wars with us and our heralds who are like the demigods who serve our, our God would fight them. And, and this happened a, a thousand and one times or whatever the hell they say. Yeah. And a thousand and one times they were thrown back and eventually they threw them all the way back to heaven, the heaven, which from which all of humankind was cast out. And then the heralds took the fight there, and now they fight there. And when you die, you go to heaven, and you fight for heaven. And it's like Valhalla. And eventually, you'll get heaven back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the reveal sort of at the end of this first book is that it's not really just all fantastical religious dogma. The Voidbringers are very real, and they actually are still among us. Oh, oh my God. They're going to come back. Oh, shit. It turns out this this race of um, sort of, well, it's the same as the Parshendi, basically. You said it's it's a non-human race that lives on Rashar that they've been using as um slaves slaves for thousands of years basically ever so long they've forgotten where they came from but they are actually the same race as the Parshendi who are the race of beings which they fought in all those desolations and have the potential to basically become the Voidbringers that sets off the whole basically the rest of the books here yeah um, book two yeah I guess so yeah so book two Words of Radiance um. This one is where all our characters actually are more or less in the same place. This is when Shalon gets to the Shattered Plains. Because the whole thing is, yes, like, all right, I got to meet up with my uncle and all my family so I can be like, fellas, we got we to gotta rally up here. So they, Shalon heads with them. But, oh, oh no, uh, Yasna gets, quote unquote, assassinated. And uh, yeah, Shalon is on her own for the whole book and has to find her own way to the Shattered Plains. And slowly bond, slowly get to know her new spren named Pattern, because her spren is different than Calden's spren, um, because they're different orders. Uh, so that's a I like I I, I like Shalana in both these books. I would say that's the only book I really don't like Shalana is four, but for a very but that's kind of the point of four. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just, even then I would say she's still interesting. She's still interesting. It just gets a little her like, as a character in particular. You you grow frustrated with her specific decisions mm-hmm. but i don't i at least for me I, I won't speak for you but i guess i never find myself like dreading reading her no i i think i just was like come on better figure shit. it out man but again that's like you said that's very much intentional that was not yeah. an accident yeah brand's like oh shit i wrote a plot wrong <laughs> damn it for me and for which again i'm still gonna but it's there's other stuff that i find less uh, much more tedious to read than chillons i'll just say that um but yeah the long and short of it in this one She's trying to get there to help them beat the Voidbringers or figure it out. It kind of unravel this whole conspiracy plot and find a lost city that that Yasna was on. Kaladin has now, and his bridgemen have now become bodyguards to Dalinar, who is trying to properly, fully unite the High Princes um, in in truth now, not just in name. 
so that he can finally end the war because he realized it's become this slog slog and in, in a lot of ways like a, they, they're not taking it seriously any longer it's become a game to them because there's so many riches to be had from these these gem hearts so he's trying to whip them all into shape and actually get them kind of moving towards the thing to, to actually bring an end to the war um and then calvin's big sort of thing is that he gets embroiled with some couple of bad eggs who try to convince him that it's actually it's actually not a big deal. It's actually for the good of everyone if we just assassinate the king, don't you think? That you're sworn to protect. Um, and through some events in the book, he has a bit of a bit of a reason to dislike the king and kind of falls in and was like, oh, I guess if we can do that. And in doing so, he nearly shatters his connection to his spren permanently. Um, eventually, Dalinar, of course, does go on his expedition to Kill the fi- finish the war. And in doing so, they kind of all realize, Shalon goes with them, and they all kind of realize that the, well, the people they've been fighting are the Voidbringers, and it's all connected, and they've fallen right into basically a, a big trap in oh, a lot yeah. of ways. Um, they almost die where they are, uh, the, the Parshendi are basically in the process of making themselves into the Voidbringers again, more or less, and beginning one of these apocalyptic wars. Uh, but, you know, everyone makes it out all right, mostly. Yeah. Kaladin thinks better of it. He realizes he's, he was he was not on the right kind of idea there. He goes, I fellas, I actually regret everything. And he and he figures it out. He goes right and he and he, and he says the right words. So he gets to be going good again. Shalon also outs herself and she's like, Look at I'm a hero too. I'm I'm a radiant. Get used to it. At the very end, Dalinar's like, I'm gonna be one too. It's sick, oh, let's do it. Stormfather wanna bond? He's like, I'd really rather not. I guess. If I have to. I know I have to, because I did it before, but I don't want to. Uh, and then and now we're into wartime. It's, the war has started. Yeah, they and find... it's all thumbs down from here. <laughs> yeah, they, they find the lost city of Urethiru. That's also a plot point. Yeah, too many plot points to follow. We didn't even talk about Zeth yet. We'll get that, maybe. Not too much with Zeth, though. He's still just... He just kills kings for, like, two bucks. <laughs> yeah. He's used as an, an assassin to murder the most powerful people in the world. Uh, and he's not a fan of it. Yeah. Kind of hates it. Um, And his whole thing is that he's a truthless... I mean, kind of... It's... it's the, do you want to get into like the general, like some of the uh, almost like mechanics? I was gonna say I'm trying to just like the setup of the books, the the structure. I guess is what I'm saying. Sure, yeah. Because there's lots of it, there's lots of different ways that information is conveyed to you, right? Mm-hmm. There's the general plot, like the the basic, you know, in and outs of the actual story. But then there's also epigraphs is a fun thing he does in these, right? So each part, because the books are broken into five parts each, has epigraphs, um, which all connect together to form something, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be anything. There's all kind of different ones. From each each part, not the yeah, whole. each part yeah. is its own little section. So sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to split up the letter into, you know, whatever it is. 15 20 parts. roughly equal parts. And then at the beginning of each of these 20 chapters will be a little sentence from the letter and it forms into a letter. Sometimes it'll just be like 20 different distinct things, right, from 20 different people. Or it'll be a book. Whatever. A fake book you made up. Then those are cool. I like the epigraphs. Also, you have the interludes, which happens between the parts. We'll do three interludes, which can vary. Earlier on, they're more world building, world building stuff of just like here's a completely random corner of the world. Because the thing is, it's I mean, it is it's it's a massive continent series. Well, just the, the scale of it all, it's truly epic fantasy in the, mm-hmm. the most literal sort of sense. And yeah, his um his planet is very diverse, and he has these cultures and and you know specific things basically in mind for pretty much every planet that or, or country continent that we come to learn about but only a few of them are really key to the actual plot that he's made up so who uses as diversions to like tell you about us uh you know 
country that might not have otherwise gotten any attention and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or just have like a little idea. But as they go on, there's definitely more of like these are side characters who don't need their own like big section of the book, but I do need to like check in with them and tell you what they're thinking or plotting or doing or whatever. Yeah, what they're up to. Um, and that's where Zeth lives mostly for most of these books, actually. Yeah. Um, is in the in-between sections, right? So he's a, he's got a whole thing going on. He's from a specific country where they have very specific customs for a lot of different things. I like a very specific way. Yeah. He's a very, spe- he's a very specific kind of guy, all right? Yeah. He's got he's a particular very, set of skills. He, he, that he does, yeah. In a, in a very real sense. <laughs> and he's very distinct even among that. Like, he's he's a very, yeah, he's got his own thing going on in the movie. He's, he's, he's quite the unique character the whole thing but um yeah he's basically like you said he's <laughs> he literally has a very specific set of skills he's incredibly it makes my skilled. nightmare for people like <laughs> exactly he's maybe the most at least towards the beginning right like you you alluded to Kauda might overpass him at a certain point but um right well by the end of book in two, the very does. beginning right zeth is probably the most among the very most dangerous individuals on the whole planet yeah um and he uses it uh against his own will sort of to uh yeah, basically assassinate a lot of a lot of kings and monarchs to desta- destabilize the whole world in an effort to maybe restabilize it again. All is the actions of uh, Teravangian, who's another sort of side character, who is this kindly old uh, king, king who we a, meet in little city state. Yeah, one. But it turns out he's actually this master through through certain magical machinations. He's uh, has this like well, it, it, well. Basically, it's presented as just intelligence. He's very smart, and in doing so, was able to sort of predict um, and chart out the events that are basically going to happen in the series, and he thinks he can stop it or prevent it or help it um, if he manipulates things in these certain ways. And he's not very moral about it, but he's very much a believer in the ends justify the means kind of thing, and it'll mm-hmm. solve me for the greater good if I can pull it off. And he's, he's quite interesting as well. He's, he's, he's a mainstay of the series for sure. But again, he's also a side guy. It's not super important, especially at this point mm-hmm. where we're at. Um, he's not. Super yeah, I, I love the interludes. I in the, in the I really like like them as well. I think they add a lot of spice to the whole thing. You know, I like the. I prefer the epigraphs when it's not just. Um, I like when it's just like a letter or something like like the the Rashendi songs. And I think is in these first two. I'm not crazy about the ones where it's like here's just like a three sentences from a book that I made up that doesn't exist. It's like okay, I I guess. My favorite ones are probably in book one, which is the Death Rattles. Oh, those are—I mean, those are the best ones. Yeah, they're probably the best ones. I mean, they, I mean, they, you've killed me. As the sun is hot, I die. That's the least interesting one. You're wrong. I think it's the first one. It's literally yeah, it's not, there's nothing to it. It even says in the book it makes no illusions about it. It's like this one probably is useless. Yeah, but it's the first one. You put it first though. But it's basically this idea that again, certain machinations, specific things, blah blah blah, so on and um, so forth. When people die. In the in the final seconds before they die, they they're able to see the future, and they will sometimes say this out loud. So it's a collection of these. We also see it happen real time in the mm-hmm. in the story a few times, um, and um, many many cases thus far they've come true. And these are actual like little. Now they're obviously very vague and they're very poetic and and sort of like yeah, I don't know what you'd call it. Not poetic. Yeah, vague and poetic in nature. Metaphorical. Yeah, metaphor. And they're, yeah, they're wrapped in metaphor and all this. But it's definitely the thing where if you read it again, you can catch them. Yeah, absolutely. But it's the type of thing where you, you're you not really going to be able to predict what's going to happen necessarily by them because they're not usually literal or, or obvious in that way. But yeah. it is it is a fun thing to kind of parse out and say, what does this mean? What's this going to what's this gonna come to be? Mm-hmm. Um, or like he'll oh, have double meanings. Uh, like there's one in particular about... The burden of nine become mine, 
Uh, and in and in that, a Dal is a Dalinar chapter wherein he has he is grappling with uniting the other nine high princes. But that one isn't about him, as you learn later on, based on context or based on even the the prelude to the whole yeah, series. It should be kind of obvious. Yeah. Um, that sort of brings us to the first novella. It does. Edge Dancer, which is um, An another, another plus side a little bit more. Right, which is a character who's first introduced, again, in that, in that kind of way, where it, it's a new character, he needs to bring him in, but they're also on a diff- like kind of the other side of the continent, and so Lyft is a character who we get just first as an interlude in Words of Radiance, and then uh, she gets her own uh, novella in uh, in Edge Dancer. She's, mm. I, I, I like it a lot, Edge Dancer. Yeah, um, she's good. It's very simple. I mean, comparatively, right? Compared to other things we just laid out, it's it's a breeze. It's bare bones, right? Yeah. It's just one character. It's basically one a perspective. Four chapters from a Starlight <laughs> book. Yeah. No, uh, no epigraphs, no interludes. It's just one little story, self-contained about yeah. Lyft. But she's great. She's one of my favorites. She's one of his favorites. Yeah, well, he said so. Yeah, yeah. sort yeah. of controversial. Some people, it's it's maybe controversial, not the word. It's I guess it's a love divisive or hate. Yeah, divisive love or hate type thing where some people find her really endearing. Which I do. Or some people can find her very annoying. Which I suppose she technically is, but it's just the type of thing. I guess if it bothers you or not, which it does not me. I do Sometimes think she's it bothers funny. me, I think. But again, to me, it's the type of thing where it's supposed to. Like, Yeah, she's just 10 or yeah. 13 or something. Magical and so on. I don't know what it is, but with these books in particular, maybe she's, I just like them so much I'm predisposed to like them at a certain point. At some point when I when I was reading reading them for the first time, I just bought in and decided, all right, I'm all in, baby. Turning the criticisms off, but I don't know. I feel like I almost always see what he's going for. Yeah. I feel like there's very rarely any like missteps mm-hmm. where he actually does something wrong or makes a character poorly or something. There's maybe one where I I see the the criticism that, that we'll get to later on, but by and large, I feel like I see the I see the vision. You know, you know what he's going for. You know what he's he's. He knows where he's going. When so he's... characters are annoying or frustrating or any number of things, it's almost always very intentional. And I see these people who read them and then have these criticisms where it's like, well, I thought he was, an- I didn't like reading this because it was annoying. And I'm just like, I mean, not to be meaner, but like, are you a child? Like, wait, you're really yeah. getting that like emotional? Like, well, he was, an- I I thought what he said was mean. And so I don't like him. Yeah, he did say a mean thing. That doesn't mean you're meant to dislike this character yeah. going forward and forever now. He's right? meant to like, change. People ch- exactly, it's the whole thing, and people, yeah, we've talked about that quite a lot as we've been rating them, right? How some people seem to just miss or discard the some of the core tenets of the whole thing, which is you can change, you can be better, and they'll they'll, they'll learn some like bad thing about a character, and be like, oh, this character sucks now. I don't I don't like this. I don't think I ever liked this guy. They're like bad. Hitler, I think. That's like that's not that's not the point. Surely of this. you didn't think that's what you're actually meant to take from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, and another thing um, with the way the books are set up is the prologues. Because the prologues for each of these books are all the same event. So, obviously, the first prologue is Zeth, from Zeth's perspective, when he assassinates King Gavilar, and he does all the magic you've, you, have, you have not been explained yet. So, it doesn't make any goddamn fucking sense. Um, but each each one after that, for books up until this book, it's about to come out in December, um, and not past it, just the first five, are all the from different characters' perspectives on that night. So, it's Zeth, and in book two, it's Yasna. Um, and Yasna's is the first time that she goes into Shadesmar, which is the cognitive realm, which is where all the Spren live. Where she be- begins to form her bond with her own Spren, which is kind of where we learn she's actually 
the oldest must be the first among the new ones or is yeah. she Ooh, maybe there's another another layer to this whole thing really if you think calvin's the first one and then with all these read the book and actually he's like the seventh yeah he's like the <laughs> last be. fucking guy to get it yeah he's the first to know and last to get it like <laughs> but that's just how it goes mm-hmm. um because you can't just do the like oh actually because yes like also yes, again that's another thing that i think this series does really well overall is like again it, it unravels things in a really interesting way it sets things up and pays them off like i said but it also does this thing where a lot of times you think something has been kind of explained or paid off and you're like okay i guess i'm up to date on that and then it still manages to surprise you and be like actually you don't know as much as you think and it does that a lot with a lot of different things which i think is interesting because it keeps it fresh because you can still have these big impactful reveals but then later on you can have more because you're like actually you don't know as much as you thought idiot yeah there's more here than you that you don't understand than you could even realize um what else? There's so much to talk about. There's so much we could talk about. I just thought, thing, like, like eight of them. We could talk about the Heralds, or we could talk about the Radiance, like, specifically, and, like, what everybody yeah. is. Or at least what... I guess at risk of just, like, explaining, explaining everything. They're very good. Yes. Again. And they're very... They play with a lot of interesting concepts. Because it's, it's... As the series goes on, it it becomes kind of a mix... It, it becomes a little sci-fi, which we've... We talked about briefly... We've touched on this when we talked about Tress, mm-hmm. where he... Tress is much more the lines. of that. Yeah, he definitely blurs the lines between like... And he's only going to continue to do so going forward yeah. with a lot of these series. And we'll touch on it uh, in the next set, which we keep saying, but I mean, that's the more recent one that we have more information. But it almost shows how sci-fi and fantasy are just like a timeline thing where one will eventually become the other and like in a cycle. Because for all intents and purposes, this theory will, from a timeline perspective at some point, start as a sci-fi thing become a fantasy, and then build back into that in some way, which I think is uh, super interesting. Well, the thing is, I would say about any of the, even the times where Brandon Sanderson has done more quote-unquote traditional sci-fi, right, like the Cytiverse um, series, even that has more fantastical elements, I would say, in it than most most sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. It's not very hard sci-fi, which is interesting because on the one hand, he writes pretty, he, he he's, he's like credited as creating the whole soft concept term. of soft and hard magic systems or at least the idea terminology of it Mm -hmm. and um at the same time yeah he also like writes pretty soft sci-fi because he's not he's more worried about the magic than he is about like the hard uh yeah again like physics of it all right the 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 real nitty-gritty sci-fi stuff that certain writers get into so even as he progresses more into sci-fi it still has magic and all that as the underlying thing of it and a lot of times the science of it is basically just the magic purposed in interesting yeah it's like the four ways but yeah there's never a point where it's just like and then we have space like you even when they get spaceships you know spoiler for Ms. the spaceships are all powered by like the magic right yeah they're not just like oh and then we get make rocket fuel and we shoot off rockets we have like, a nu- nah, I, have a nu- I built a nuclear reactor right which i think that stuff's coming technically or, or it'll get to that point but again it still has like the magic as a core to it all right because mm-hmm. you i mean that's a pretty untapped power you would just use that in everything um, and also there's like fun little like details because the books are so long you, you can really delve into a lot. So like in book two, Shalon points out um, that they're finding less and less gem hearts and they're smaller and because they kill these giant like crab monsters because the planet they live on is like a horrible hellscape that's just rocks and like crustaceans <laughs> and has a horrible storm. Um, and she's like, I think you guys are killing too many of them because these are like apex predators and you're hunting them to literal extinction like oh well maybe we uh we shouldn't do that which shows that like 
Downer had known what he did, eventually it would have all ended horribly, and they would have like everyone would have dried up, and they would have kind of been out with their dick in their hands, just like, well, this sucks. So I like details like that, where like it's clear. I mean, from what I understand, he's been like a decade building this world, and like he kind of thinks of everything. Yeah, really. Like, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that assessment of it. It is really interesting how, and even again as the books progress, how like different details and things are still sprinkled in, and you're just like, yeah, what a complete sort of thing. And he, and he said that like all the things we listed and how we keep saying how it's so big, right? With the just again the plot themselves, even if you cut all this extraneous stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. You said no interludes, which again I don't even think you can do because as it goes on, the interludes become pretty pivotal to the plots. But less interludes, less epigraphs, all this—they would still be huge books. But it's because he wanted to do all these different things with it. He had such a grand plan vision it's, i mean it's uh, it's his magnum opus kind yeah of thing. and he said it, which you don't read because you're a coward but in the um in the foreword for oathbringer whatever he calls it womp, womp. he said something effective like yeah this is you know i thought i always thought that like this would be too big and too weird for people to really like but here it is and it's and people really do obviously yeah that's great again it's it's even compared to the wheel of time it, there is something much more epic and intricate about it i think yeah I think part of it is that the Wheel of Time, which again, it's not nothing to go against the Wheel of Time. We did like like it quite a lot, but something that the Wheel of Time has for it is that it's it's drawing a lot on your preconceptions, right? Mm-hmm. It is largely like a medieval European type setting, and so it's it's drawing upon that. And this is this is a super common device, right? This is how a lot of writers do it. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brando's talked about it in his lectures, right? That these are the types of decisions you make, how much you you do and don't want to, to, you know, base off of medieval Europe, all that. But so there's not as much, it's not that weird of a world, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a planet that feels like Europe, right? There's trees and grass and shit and fields and horses and horses cows. and cows and pigs and shit. Whereas Rashar is a completely alien planet, which again is the cool thing about all of the Cosby, even the older ones, whatever, before he gets into like more outwardly sort of quote unquote sci-fi elements like space travel or advanced technology or whatever. There is still this thing where, like, they're all on different planets. Like, even that in and of itself is is kind of sci-fi, Star Wars-y feeling, right? Of, like, mm-hmm. ooh, we have different planets, and they all have their own quirks, and they're interesting All unique things, version right? of magic. Yeah, they all don't use, like, the same magic. It's all just, they all used very different ones. And pretty early on, we were introduced to the concept of interplanetary travel through various methods and whatnot. For our good so. friend, Wit. Ooh. It's a funny guy, but, again, we can get into him the next time. So, yeah, it's just such a huge, and like you said, the, the world itself, he's thought of a very specific planet and, and the way it works and the, the you know how unique little ideas it has going on for it in particular mm-hmm. and how culture would spin out and what yeah. they, what what they would and wouldn't do based on certain things and how their past because well, we see glimpses of the past and we get like in that informs why they're the way that they are because i think one of the things with aleth car if i remember correctly in one of Dalinar's visions uh like in the distant past they refer to like them being the area that becomes Alcar being like the ones that are still doing warfare for a particular reason. Like they're like watchers, and they yeah they were like this warfare country. Yeah, that's like where they had like yeah the capital of the that's where they they did all their they fought the, basically they fought the war out of that's where their headquarters was is I think how they kind of put it. Mm-hmm. So that's why they become that way, and then everyone else kind of f- gets diffused from there. Um, which I think it's like each country, each of the ten epic kingdoms specializes in something. one thing. Yeah. That's where they like so, but Alethala is war. That's where they all go to learn to be warriors and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's a good time. So it's a great time. Is there any more? Or are we? I think again, 
On the one hand, we did kind of spoil off, but I think we kept it kind of vague, so. No, without just telling everyone everything. Just like, give it a read. Yeah, because again, I mean, we've gotten a lot of the nitty, I mean, we've talked for hours and hours over the past few weeks of, or months, I guess, at this point of us reading through them, so we've covered a lot of the, the big stuff. I'd say we'll get quite specific maybe leading up to, um. Five. Because, yeah, we'll get to actually do one in real time, so maybe we'll. I'll do it part by part. Oh, we could do that. really really stretch it out of our <laughs> dying for kind. We could really get into some like nitty gritty predictions and stuff that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for these ones, it's like well, the next ones are so yeah. we were gonna do them one by one, but then we kind of got ahead of ourselves. Well, you did specifically. Mm-hmm. If I'm gonna pull in your fingers, well, yeah, which is all right, nothing wrong with that. But it got to the point where you were done with like four of them, and it was like, so are we gonna start with the first one? And I just thought that seemed kind of yeah redundant a bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do we think about the very first one? I don't know what's gonna happen next. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And then I was like, well, we can't do all four because that's... Yeah, that still would be too much. So, yeah, we'll swim we, right we, in half. We, we went right, and luckily, there's two novellas. Nice, so convenient way. It's perfectly in half. By the time we're done with this, we get to talk about the Words of Radiance Kickstarter that's going to happen. We can yeah. talk about everything going on there. Probably do a whole segment on that. Segments galore. And then we'll do Miss Porn soon. I'll get to order more chintzy bullshit from Brando. Get Please, me a, my money. Get me a, a Windrunner plushie. <laughs> a little soul. Oh, Honor Spren plushie. Maybe a, maybe a I want cryptic a, plushie. I want an Ash Spren. I think a lot of listen. Here's the thing. Well, you see, you see the illustrations. Yeah. Some of them are kind of boring. Mm-hmm. He kind of hit. It's one of those things where he kind of, kind of nailed it with the first couple, and then it's. <laughs> well, yeah. There's too many. That's a, that's a. If I had a Nick pick, there's like there's ten orders of these knights ready. I know we're gonna end. No, but come on, the the ten is important. They love. He loves his ten. Well, he loves his ten. But you've not read the Way of Kings Prime Prime, which is a whole other can of worms. <laughs> but that's the basically the version of Way of Kings he initially wrote, and then. Decided never to publish, but it's still a massive novel that it it's finished, and he he put out for the the Way of Kings tenth anniversary leather brown Kickstarter. But you can read that, and it's it's super interesting to me as a fan of these books. Just read them all and everything, like to see the similarities and differences, and just the whole where, where he evolves and what he keeps yeah, the same. Super interesting. But um, in that in in service of this whole thing and creating a unique world and unique all that, right? Because tens are so important in um just this series and in their planet and their their culture. He uses the word ten set a lot, hmm. which is just to mean ten of a thing. Ten of a thing. So instead of like dozens or hundreds or whatever, he'll often use ten sets, which is kind of clunky. And it's obviously I think it's a made up sort of word. I've never heard of it, or at least it's not used. It might be like uncommon thing, yeah, archaic sort of thing. But so there's just tens everywhere. It'd <laughs> be like, and then ten sets of soldiers stormed into the building. Hey, ten sets of or whatever. It just happens all the time. And you're just like, man, ten sets, huh? And he's big on ten. There'll be ten big books, ten. and there's ten orders and ten characters, ten, surges, ten cities, and ten, ten gates. epic kingdoms. The big ten, the big circle, these ten things, and there's ten surges that go between. They're shared between the ten orders, and there's ten essences and ten uh, touch of stones. Yeah, ten something else, right? Um, I don't know. So that's most of it. That's most. Oh, ten heralds. Oh yeah, ten heralds. But course, that's kind of the radiant thing. That's, well, they all kind of yeah. They're all just the same. It's basically different ways to describe the same ten things. Yeah. Because each of the heralds corresponds to a radiance, corresponds to an With, essence, corresponds to surges, corresponds to, to a gems, city, corresponds to Northgate. And then there's sixteen shards, but we don't gotta get into the shards. That's a whole different. That's a whole can new of can of worms. That'll be uh, that'll be if we're really desperate. We'll just do the whole shards thing. The whole Cosmere. Excellent. Well, we're wrapping up right about here. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, come back next week. We'll be here. Uh, and as always, you can find us uh, outside of the podcast on social media, on Twitter. That's at Jazz, Architect J-A-Z. 
on Gmail at architectjazz at gmail.com or on Instagram at the architect podcast, all lowercase. As always, our intro is done by friend of the show, Joey B. You can find him at Joey B on Instagram, all caps, or on Spotify, again, Joey B with all caps. Um, our logo is done by friend of the show, Jeffrey Gonzalez. You can always find him at inkocean.jpg on Instagram or on Redbubble. And as always, we wrote it, we produced it, built all the sets. Say goodnight to the people, Zach. Good night. Good night. Godspeed.